something I was thinking about. I was trying to think about it for the intro as okay. I wanted to, to bring in like the teenagers with attitude part somewhere. <laughs> okay. And then the more I thought about that is that like teenagers with attitude is such like a general statement. I feel like that would qualify any teenager. Like why, why did they pick like those five or six kids? Not to mention, like, I feel like teenagers with attitude makes it sound like these people should be assholes and they pick yeah, like the exactly. nicest kids with attitude to be the yeah. power rangers. Yeah, like they're they're valedictorians. They're all straight A students. They're model citizens. They have they 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 kind of don't work a job, but they do because like Jason teaches karate to youth at at the <laughs> youth center and juice bar. Um, I think Zach. You find out at some point like Zach, Tommy, and Jason are on the football team. Kimberly still somehow keeps up like a, a, an amateur gymnastics career the whole time. Yeah, I like, that. somehow they they have all the time in the freaking world and you're right they're they are like the like model citizens because i feel like with that description like teenagers with attitude like it's more likely balkan skull should have been power rangers <laughs> hey alpha find the f-ups and get them here <laughs> right Zo zone in on the real douche nozzles <laughs> these five or six kids are not attitude -y enough we need, we need more attitude look again yeah and i mean thinking back on it you know that was such a um buzzword play you know to have like an eight-year-old watching the show and have them say that give us teenagers with attitude <laughs> actually you know what now uh -huh. i think about it too i think that was something the uh the honest trailer pointed out is that oh, when, really? in the movie for like uh the, the 90s movie when they go through like they i think they open the movie with like a paragraph summary where someone's like setting the stage for what the power rangers are yeah it's and the, the part the, the alien female chick from right. another planet yeah the half naked chick and I think at the part of the description when they should say teenagers with attitude, they uh -huh. they don't say that. They flip it somewhere. Where oh it's... yeah, they say um to transport six extraordinary teenagers. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just left as extraordinary teenagers. Oh, dude, oh man, I'm watching that movie tomorrow. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Bry Guy and his Super Friends. We know as well as you do that Rocky was the worst. Just the absolute worst. Horribly, horribly terrible. I'm your host, Brian Labick. My guest for this episode is the Alpha 5 to my Zordon, Josh Zorge. Aye, aye, aye! <laughs> I was wondering if you'd go there. That was perfect. <laughs> um, just to preamble, as I've been doing for the last couple weeks, I just want to remind everyone that we're getting close to our 100th episode. This, I think, marks episode 90, if my count is correct. Uh, so we got 10 more to go before it's up there. We'll probably record before the 100th, so we might only have, like, another month or so. But my idea for that one is to get some, hopefully, fan interaction for that. So if you guys have any uh, topic suggestions, questions, anything you may want to ask us, suggest to us, uh, throw it out there. So if you would like to get in touch with us, you can either find us on the Facebook page, which is probably the most... Uh, active place to find us. I think we're pretty active on Facebook. Uh, you can search for Bry Guy Super Friends on Facebook or go to www.facebook.com slash Friends. You can also email us. We have an email address for BryGuySuperFriends at gmail.com or you can tweet us at BGSuperFriends on Twitter. All of those avenues work. We will respond to all of them. So we'll see if we can get anything together for the 100th and we'll roll with what you give us. 
Uh, but for this episode, if you haven't guessed already, we'll be talking about the Power Rangers movie. The first movie in a potentially six-movie arc, according to Haim Saban, the man behind Power Rangers. And just to sort of set the stage, give us a little bit of synergy here. Fun fact, and it's something that Josh brought up to me before we actually started doing this. Uh, probably a little over two years ago, Josh and I recorded the pilot episode for Bright Guy and Super Friends. One of the topics we covered at that time was the Power Rangers short film short film that hit the internet a few weeks before that. Um, when we recorded that episode, and then when it was finally uploaded, I think the date that I wrote down for that was March 22nd, 2015. So we're recording this one on March 30th, 2017. So this is just over two years, and we're still talking about Power Rangers. Um, just to sort of set the stage before we get in the movie, I wanted to sort of go back and just sort of you know, reminisce, maybe get a little bit nostalgic about our Power Rangers. I don't, I don't know if I want to go as far as say fandom. Maybe, maybe more for you than me. But yeah, a bit. Our our experience with Power Rangers. We'll, we'll go that way. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if mine would. I, I wouldn't say fandom in the way that the word has become used now, because it wasn't. You know, a, after I dropped it when I was twelve years old, it wasn't something like. You know, I kept hidden in my back pocket and didn't tell anyone about it, even <laughs> though I harbored a secret, you know, ongoing love for it. You know, it's 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 like for a lot of people, Transformers are now or Voltron or He-Man, you know, all those types of things. It was yeah. a part of it was, a, it was a big part, you know, central part of my childhood pop culture um, that I that I still really, really enjoy if I ever went back to it. But, um, you know, I don't I don't have any, uh, you know, like power coin tattoos or anything. <laughs> You may have some toys and memorabilia, though, right? Uh, quite a bit, yeah. There was probably three or four years in a row, birthdays and Christmas, um, where I got, you know, all all I asked for were, you know, Power Ranger toys, and uh, you know, I didn't like, I didn't go for the chintzy ones that were like, you know, the two or three inch, you know, uh, little action figure toys. No, right. the ones, the ones I wanted were like the the big, huge, like ten inch figures and the zords that were like a foot tall yeah i remember those yeah i got all those stashed away in the boxes um not nearly in mint don't get me wrong a lot of you know <laughs> when, when you're nine years old and you want to open your your christmas present you're as careful as you can be but some of those boxes took quite a beating but yeah oh, it's yeah. all it's still it's still uh still up in my mom's attic there you go see now you got to bring it out and play with it just for nostalgic sake uh, actually, I just remembered right now when I had, um, when I was in my band in high school, we had like our practice area down in the basement of my parents' house. And for a little while, I kind of turned it into, um, kind of like my lounging area as well. So like I brought okay. one of our like rocking chairs down there and this like big, long, extra like coffee table that we never used anymore. Um, and for a while, I might, I might be able to take out pictures somewhere. Um, uh, for a while, uh, when I was like 17, I took all of my Power Rangers out, uh, at least the Zords, if I remember, and put them all together and like displayed them out on that table in the basement. <laughs> it's the for, centerpiece for the room for a while, yeah. That's great. So it's it's been a long, but they've been yeah they've been boxed away for at least 15 years. You know, that's one thing I never. I don't think I ever got any toys for Power Rangers. I remember watching the show and being into it, like the Mighty Morphin show, and being mm -hmm. into it. But I don't think I ever got the toys. It was the one thing, like, I, growing up, we didn't really have the ability to do a whole lot, so if there was, like, one thing that I, like, each of us latched onto, um, 
you know, and it was like special treat stuff. Like I said, it's like birthdays and Christmas. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what I asked Santa for. <laughs> um, so like, you know, fortunately I, I was still able to, um, yeah, I mean, at the same time, listen to me. I'm talking about like, you know, first world American kid growing up problems in the nineties. Like, come on. <laughs> See, I think for me, it was like, cause that was like mid nineties, right? When the show started mm-hmm. coming out. 93. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I think I like, I got into the show and then somewhere in like, I want to say like 95 was when, uh, Hasbro started releasing Star Wars toys again. Like they had <laughs> okay. been off the shelves forever and then they started making new Star Wars toys. So that's where my, you know, kid money went was new Star Wars stuff. Okay, okay. So I think I think I overlooked Power Rangers for more Star Wars stuff. Yeah, I went like I left. When it really leave, I kind of I had wrestling toys when I was kid uh, that went in conjunction with uh, uh, the original Ninja Turtles toys, mm-hmm. little action figures, and then when I left those, that's when I was like nine, that's when I went to Power Rangers. There you go. And then I was there for like three years and then I was 13 and realized I should probably stop watching this show. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just like another, like at that point, like a, not, like teenage obsessions took over like music and stuff. So right, right. it just went from like one thing to another. So which, uh, which one of the shows did you watch? Was it Mighty Morphin? Did you go past Mighty Morphin? I did, you know, so I was trying to figure that out because I never really understood the the whole delineation till years later. Um, like I don't really remember the show going through an official rebranding until maybe they went to Power Rangers Zio, right? And that was like that was like season five. So really, the first three seasons are under the normal umbrella brand of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. So for anyone that grew up like remembering it, like that takes you all the way through the introduction of the Green Ranger, the loss of the Green Ranger, uh, the introduction of the White Ranger, the introduction of Lord Zed. Uh, you go through, let me see, you go through at least two, no, you go through three to four Zord iterations in those first three seasons. You have the regular Dino Zords. Right. The Thunder Zords that show up when Lord Zed comes along. The movie, and then the subsequent, like, third season of the TV show, uh, introduces the Ninja Zords. Okay. And then even in that third one, at some point, you have these, like, temporary Shogun Zords. Wow, for, see, I don't remember half while. that stuff. Like, the Thunder Zords, I don't remember what was different about those. Uh, the Thunder Zords, so, like, they originally had, like, for instance, Jason the Red Ranger had... The Tyrannosaurus Rex is a dinosaurd. Right. When the Thunderzords replaced them, he got, like, a red dragon. Oh, shit. See, I don't even remember that. As his zord. My knowledge must be lacking. I, I must be missing <laughs> more. Uh, like, I'm, I'm finding gaps now that we're talking about it in my, in my Power Rangers knowledge. Yeah. Because yeah, I like definitely that... watched the movie. Like, I remember the movie, mm-hmm. and I remember the zords, from, the zords from the movie coming over the television show. Yeah, and, and the Zords, when, when they, when they put out the movie, the movie didn't address like, oh no, they blew up the Thunder Zords, what can we <laughs> do now? Uh, it was just basically like, oh, we're in crisis, and we're going to this other place to find a new source of power, and oh look, we got new Zords, it's the Ninja Zords, there you go. 
they don't really address a transition like the TV show did from the dinosaurs to the thunderosaurs. Right. Um, but you go all the way through season three, which is, I'm pretty sure it's like a hundred and like 150 episodes almost. Jeez, oh man. In like three seasons, uh, before you ever get to what, at least, at least how a, a Power Rangers wiki is, um, classifying things. <laughs> um, you get to this second iteration called the Mighty Morphin Alien Rangers. Now, this is when Rita, who along the way she tricks, or actually I think she kind of like puts a spell on slash poisons Lord Zed into marrying her. Oh, I remember that. With like a love potion type yeah, magic yeah, yeah. thing. So they're still around, but Rita's father, Master Vile, shows See, up. I don't remember him, though. On earth and he turns back time and this was the weirdest iteration in the world because um i remember this i do remember this seeming really weird he shows up and turns back time on earth which reverts the rangers to being like 11 year olds again (laughs) and so billy being the you know prodigy that he is creates a machine to reverse their ages even if it doesn't like move time up but it only works on him. So Bill, the Billy character becomes like an 18-year-old again, while the other kids are left being kids the whole season. Oh, that would be weird. And it's strange, and, and like the whole season is them um, having to travel through time to find these iteration, the, these pieces of the Zeo crystal, which, you know, oh, ends okay. up, ends up, so that's where the Zeo brand comes from afterward but you know as you saw we'll get to uh plays a role in the new iteration of the of the movie right um canon that they've created so they use all these zeo these particles of zeo crystals to bring them all together to set time and space right and then that's pretty much the end of the season and then the next one is as i said what what i remember as being like the first official rebranding on tv like on tv they never said it they never called it the Alien Rangers. That was not the name of the show. Yeah. But once they became Power Rangers Zeo the following year, then it, then it did. Um, and that's kind of where, like, a little bit, like, halfway through that is where I jumped off. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember that at all, so I must have bailed before that. It must have been somewhere right after the movie, I think. Because I remember, like I said, I remember that stuff happening in the TV show. Mm-hmm. But I don't really remember anything after that. It just all feels like a blur. And we did actually, Josh and I were looking at this on Netflix before we started recording. There are like 15 different versions of Power Rangers on Netflix right now. If not more. So if you, if you decide to feel nostalgic and you want to go back and try to watch some of these or watch them for the first time and see what you were missing way back when, they are out there. There is a shit ton of Power Rangers to watch. <laughs> there are. And even like the the original series and, and everything, it seems like it's all there other than the uh, other than the feature films. Power Rangers, the the movie, and and Power Rangers Turbo, which save yourself an hour and a half. Do not watch that piece of crap. Other <laughs> yeah, than the I'd films, never, the TV I'd, show's all there. I'd never seen the Turbo one, but I did see the the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie, like the first one. And I think a couple years ago, Eric and I, it was, it was on Netflix at the time, and Eric and I decided to watch it one Saturday night when we had nothing going on. And yeah, it does not hold up. It's pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> It's really choppy. Like you see, you, you see the the like the skeleton of a story there, but 
the other half of it is just really ridiculous and and the production value in a lot of places is really lame although it does open well somewhat open almost open one of the first scenes is them uh well this is also if you remember it opens with the teenagers skydiving for charity yeah Yeah. i'm like first of all what insurance company (laughs) is going to allow something where minors are skydiving when they're not doing it like in tandem or with adults or anything, they just fly. Cause I remember Bulk and Skull are up in the plane with them. Right. So there's like the six of them. So there's like eight teenagers that these adult pilots just take up, you know, 15, 20,000 feet in the air. They're like, all right, go ahead, kids. Yeah, that movie is so rooted in the 90s. Like that was the extreme oh, yeah. sports, sports era. Yeah, X Games. Yeah. Yeah. And then like right after that, there's a whole like five minute long sequence of them rollerblading down the road. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> like, it's because so, so bad. Because while they're while they're skydiving, they used the uh the Chili Peppers cover of yeah. uh uh Higher Ground Stevie yes. Wonder yeah Stevie Wonder song while they're skydiving. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and then Tommy has to come down with that like surfboard thing, like yeah. the snowboard. Of course, because he you, can't you skydive can't like a normal person. A... No, there's got to be something to just make us, you know, and the thing was, like, every little, I don't know about little girls at the time, every little boy who was a Power Rangers fan, like, every, everybody already idolized Tommy. He oh, was yeah. just the epitome yeah. of freaking cool in every way, but they're like, oh no, we need to give him just this extra little element to be different, but still makes no effing sense, but <laughs> they won't, they won't realize it because they're 10. Yeah. Oh, good times. You know, <laughs> you know, and as much as we bash it, too, like, I do kind of want to go back and watch it now just to poke it. Oh, hell yeah. See how it goes. Um, all right, so we're going to uh, try to get into probably the movie. So, it be, you know, before we get into it, I'm going to throw out the spoiler warning just because I think it's easier for us to talk about just as, you know, freely as we need to because I don't know how quickly we'll want to get into spoilers, so this just makes it easier. Uh, so if you haven't seen the movie yet and don't want to be spoiled – just pause this now. You can come back to us after you've seen the more after you've seen the movie. Uh, we'll be here waiting for you. So this is your final warning. Spoilers for Power Rangers to follow. Wee you wee you spoiler. Wee you wee you spoiler. You know something like that. All right, so we are into the spoiler territory. We're going to talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about for Power Rangers. I actually realized I was going to mention this sort of before we got got into the spoiler warning, but I'll bring it up now just because it could segue us into this movie. Fairly well. Um, bringing it back to when Josh and I first did the first episode for the show, we talked about that Power Rangers short film. I actually put it on Facebook a couple days ago just to sort of refresh and sort of rewatch it just for my own. Uh, just, you know, trying to remember what it looked like. Because even watching this movie, Josh had seen it before me and he mentioned something about the opening of the movie really pulling him in. And that was sort of what grabbed him and set the stage. And then after I watched it, the first thought that came to my head was that it looks and feels like the Power Rangers short film. This is the same short film that Saban really wanted to get off the internet. (laughs) Yeah. Because it was screwing with the Power Rangers brand, according to him. And I think he even did get get it pulled for a couple days. And then it ended up coming back. They, you know, settled or decided they were going to allow it if it was strictly labeled as not being connected to the Power Rangers universe and all that stuff. So it was able to be broadcast on YouTube again. But yeah, even after watching it again recently, 
I feel even more solid that that's sort of where they're pulling that tone from is that short film. Yeah, and it was funny because I made that comment uh, about you know my review of the movie at first without even making that connection. Like I knew tonally and like for cinematography and everything, I really like I said the opening of that of that movie really it just hooks you from the beginning with how like grounded and you know realistic it it feels. Um, but it wasn't until you had pointed that out that i'm like oh yeah that might be it because i'm kind of remembering why i liked the fan film so much uh that i was happy to see it uh you know kind of legitimized yeah because that fan film like it feels like they're in a war and this one the movie opens just it feels like it's just you know worldwide destruction and shit's hitting the fan and this is like real stakes almost yeah definitely It, it really grasps you right away when like you, you just see a red ranger and his armor is just absolutely torn to hell. Yeah. He looks just, he's on, I mean, and he is like, he's on his, you know, last, last wind. And, um, you know, like the, the worst moments that you see, you know, Iron Man in some of the Avengers films, some of the state that his suits get in and whatnot, like that, that's what these, rangers look like and just right from you know they're they're like crawling on the ground they're going through the mud the sky's overcast and it's very black and and uh you know it, it it's 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 a uh you know a prehistoric time on earth where this scene this, this this last stand scene is taking place and um yeah just the the mood of it all just i mean it it not in the same way obviously but it kind of reminded me like um logan like the opening to that movie, most of its purpose really it doesn't really have a purpose per se. It's to let you know what the rest of the movie's gonna be like. Oh yeah, it's setting the stage. Absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, the curtain comes up, what are you going to see first to get a sense of what to expect for the rest? That's how both of these movies open, and this one did it excellently. Yeah. Um, do we want to start with the opening and just go from there? Or do you want to do just like overall impressions and then we'll sort of spin off from there? Uh, sure. Yeah. You go first. Uh, are we doing overall impressions? Should yeah. We? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like we we're talking, I think that, uh, the beginning of the film definitely set the stage. I think it, it did its job. It was a good departure from what we, you know, if you go back and watch the show or the old movies, they, they have such a cheesy campy feel to them. And this did not have that which means I think it accomplished what they wanted to do. They they wanted... I mean, there were... Obviously, there were parts of it that felt a little bit campy and silly just because it's Power Rangers and it's still geared towards kids, but they took a definitely more realistic approach to it, which I think worked in spades. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the whole kind of like Breakfast Club feel to it. <laughs> I thought sure. that worked really well. Um, I do think I like the first half of the movie better than the second half. Okay. Some of the action, I think, kind of fell flat to me. Okay. But I liked all the character stuff, like all the setup and them getting to know each other, all that stuff I thought was great. The cast I thought was fantastic. Yeah. All the all the yeah. no-name, like, new actors they got for the Rangers themselves. Like, I didn't know any of them going into this film, but I thought they all did great. Yeah, I, I agree. There was only one, you know, from the beginning when I first saw the posters and whatnot, I thought Kimberly looks so familiar to me but i didn't know if she just had like one of those faces and it finally clicked after i saw it and i went and looked it up 
she was on that show Terra Nova from oh, a couple okay. of years ago. It was it only ran like one season. Like actually, I think it was only like half a season. Yeah. Uh, about like people on Earth figure out how to go back in time and basically try to start civilization over in the time of the dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, that's where it, she came from. So like I finally and I'm I think I've talked about it on prior episodes like that's what i've been doing like i'm still not done with that show <laughs> i still I, I still have like three episodes left because i kind of lost interest but like i'm gonna finish it eventually i'm working on it but yeah i, I finally like rang my brain like oh god damn like i've been looking at her face you know for 45 minutes once a week yeah see that's a little bit more fresh for you because i remember watching that show when it was on but i don't remember her at all in that movie or in the tv show no, I probably um she was the daughter of the main cop family. Wasn't uh Stephen Lang in that show? Is that what I'm thinking? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. So yeah, uh, and that was 2011, so yeah, I can definitely see, you know, 6 okay. yeah, 6 yeah. years ago not making that connection there, but yeah, but you're right. Uh, other than that, you know, there's not and that was the great thing that even even with Elizabeth Banks, there was never a time watching it that I was even watching her portrayal of Rita thinking, oh, this is just Elizabeth Banks. I can't see anything but Elizabeth Banks. Um, she did a great job giving you a villain, but all those other characters, yeah, it probably helped that you didn't really recognize them from anything else, but they all did a good job in, uh, conveying original people to you. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I sort of want to get into, Rita, because I don't know. Did you did you like Elizabeth Banks' performance with Rita? She's the only one I don't know if I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with that. Um, I wish. Um, because to me, she almost seems like she's in a different movie. Uh, a little bit. I, I, I okay. I see. I see what what you mean. Um, like she's playing TV show Rita Repulsa when everybody else is playing real grounded teenagers. Uh, true, though, remember, she, you know, the way that they wrote this, she was, you know, removed from existence, civilization, for 65 million years. So, yeah, so I could get that, I can understand story reasons why she's a little bit off. Yeah. But I don't know, I guess for me, it just, it. I don't know, I, I, I think she gave it her all, I just don't know if it was what I expected, and I don't know if, how I feel about it. I'm, I'm really okay. confused. <laughs> okay yeah i i can see that um i think it might have been some of the script choices like there were oh, i can see that yeah i i and not to say they were bad necessarily i just think maybe there were different things they could have done with her character to i don't want to say give her more to do but since this since the the, the screen time was so devoted in, in really good ways, don't get me wrong, in really good ways to the character development of the team. That's true. Yeah. You know, th there might have been something sacrificed or lost in fine tuning her. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. If we would have had more screen time devoted to her, maybe they could have fleshed her out a little bit more. Maybe it could have helped. Make yeah. Her a little bit more interesting instead of just like finger, you know, mustache twirling villain. Okay, yeah, I, I I can see that. And I'm I'm actually really interested in a lot of the breadcrumbs they left. Like I I mean obviously the biggest thing right from the get-go was well that that's kind of getting into 
specific details and plot points and whatnot, so I'll, I'll try to keep my general again. I, I'll say this is definitely going to end up on my uh, short list for most surprising for the year. Okay. I was I was actually really expecting them to phone this movie in. <laughs> yeah. I really did. I I, th- I think I figured it would be a marketing ploy. It would be a way to just put out something that everyone knows and and you know have a strong opening two weeks to get those nostalgia dollars. But that you know and that would be it. But I can't say that at all. I don't I don't think I can. They they came up with something very original. They didn't even though they kept a lot of the same canon it didn't seem like they were afraid to change anything they wanted. Yeah, and, you know, sort of jumping off from when we talked about the the short film that came out two years ago, it probably took about two years for them to go through production for this movie. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if the reboot was announced before or after the short film. I want to say it was around the same time. Like, I feel like rumor... I mean, you figure, like, with script writing and pre-production, it was already begun by... at, At least at the time, the fan film was, you know put online but i think it pretty much was sort of um just recently confirmed that you know production will be beginning on a power rangers reboot movie right okay yeah because i you know you you have to wonder if that short film hits the internet the internet goes crazy for it and everyone's like oh my god this would be a great take on power rangers Mm -hmm. and then immediately afterwards they're like oh here comes a power rangers reboot movie and you're like oh i see what you did there capitalizing on somebody else's you know push for this franchise just to make more money off of it but yeah you're right they sure. if they announced it beforehand then they already sort of had their plan for it and maybe that short film influenced some things maybe they tweaked yeah. some of their ideas for the script or how the, the movie would play out all for the sure. better i think but yeah i mean maybe they if if they were smart they would have at least looked at message boards they would have looked at youtube comments um, you know, to see if there was anything that, and, and you know, let's be honest, there's two demographics for this movie, brand new kids and people our age. That's right. it. Yeah. You know, there's not going to be many, uh, 60 year olds who <laughs> have, you know, maybe they're retired and they're thinking of going to the movies this afternoon and, oh, we've seen previews for that Power Ranger movie. Like, it's not going to be a casual choice of a moviegoer. Right. So if they were smart, they might have looked at a lot of the feedback that people have left and and you're right, maybe it did influence some of their artistic choices, script writing, some of the tonal aspects uh of the movie, the uh the fact that they decided to take it, you know, very earnestly in like a, a Batman begins type of way. Yeah. Um it was very it was very practical in nature like you obviously have to take certain uh leaps of faith in terms of uh you know suspension of disbelief but they tried to ground it as much as they could assuming that these things could really happen right um sort of spinning off from Rita do you want to should we go down like the list of characters and just sort of talk about everybody and see what we sure thought um all right so we'll just start with the rangers what do we think of the Red Ranger. We'll start with the leader, Jason the Red Ranger. I gotta look up names because I don't know. Uh, uh, Dakre Mon- Montgomery. Dakre, yeah, that's Dacry. So- something like that. I don't. That's a weird first name. <laughs> um, who incidentally is going to be in the second season of Stranger Things? 
Oh, I didn't know that shit. Yep, yep. Um. Uh, <laughs> ironically, as a character named Billy. Um, <laughs> it all comes back around. Yeah, at least it wasn't Jason. Um, or, yeah, or Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say I was I was pleased with his acting. I felt that there there needed to be a little bit of a strengthening up for me to believe in this. 17 or 18 year old as you know this formidable leader i see him as a good person and somebody who wants to you know help the team achieve but i don't know about the rest but i was pleased otherwise yeah i think for stepping in in the leader role you know the main guy that you're i mean you follow everybody but He's got more of the focus, I feel like. Like, maybe him and Billy, I think, were the two that got the most focus. Mainly because, I mean, you open the movie with him. True. So, yeah, I think I think he did a pretty good job carrying it and, and doing what he needed to do. Yeah, agreed. Um, and it was hard to tell where they were starting with him because they, you know, definitely introduce him as, you know, I don't want to say like Mr. Class Clown, but, you know, big man on campus the one who does everything like oh this is gonna be the senior prank to end all senior pranks yeah, it's gonna right, be yeah. le- it's gonna be legendary but the with i don't know sometimes what they forget with that kind of like archetypal character is if you are 18 and you think you're gonna do something at high school that people will still be talking about when you're 40 like you're just setting yourself up for a really crappy life oh yeah so like they moved away from that archetype pretty quickly i just didn't know where they were going initially i will say too that joke with the bull mm-hmm. or the cow whatever oh, whatever yeah. they were moving like oh yeah to set the set up the movie with that joke like that i think got the biggest laugh out of the theater yeah because i was not expecting them to go that mature <laughs> yeah. with it um and not to say i've seen it before but i mean you kind of have like i i mean i saw that joke in city slickers 2 Right. You know, 25 years ago. Yeah, it's an old joke, but you can still play it a little bit differently each time. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, they were, you're right, because with some of the wording, his friend was like, oh, I was wondering, because it was, it was really big, and I had to use two hands. <laughs> <laughs> and he even started doing the motion. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, God. But yeah, it worked. I like that. Um, I'm just going to go down to IMDb. Uh, Naomi, Naomi, Naomi Scott for Kimberly is next. Yes, she's the, yeah, she's the one I mentioned was on was on Terra Nova. Um I I liked her. Um I think I've always been drawn to the I I, I mean I've I've given my personality the 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 music that I like, the way I prefer to dress, this you know, those very basic aesthetic things. I've always been um drawn to the sort of rebel girl so to speak okay um so you know when and, and for people who are like in transition trying to find themselves and um you know go, going going through a questioning of things and you know and that's all wrapped up in being a teenager right um i really gravitated towards towards x it probably reminded me a lot of you know a, a lot of my teenagers i guess i felt like i went through a lot of that myself yeah um and so i gravitated gravitated towards that but um i felt she was 
one of the more natural acting of the team at, yeah. at times. Um, and I'll give it up for the, we'll get up to him in a minute, but when we get to the actor who played Billy, I mean, hands down, he freaking won it for me. Yeah. But, um, but definitely, especially compared to Trini and, and Zach, she felt, and, and, and even Jason at times, um, her, her acting felt the most natural, the most fluid. I mean, I feel like they gave her a little bit more to do too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she, I mean, everybody, I guess, has their, their arc, but I guess hers is a little bit more prominent than, say, like, Zach or Trini's. Very true. So, I think she that makes her stand out a little bit more, makes her a little mm-hmm. bit more memorable. And, yeah, I think she did a great job with everything she had to work with there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you mentioned, CJ Seiler, I guess is how you – or RJ, sorry, I'm missing RJ, yeah. letters. RJ Seiler, <laughs> yeah. uh, who played Billy. Yeah, he, he was the heart and soul of that movie. Yeah. And I mean, it can't, it can't be ignored that, you know, right up front, the, 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 I mean, the, the, the easy word to use is diversity in this movie. Um, you know, not only did they have genders and races, but they also went for, you know, learning, um, capabilities and sexual orientation. And I'm happy that they did it, but it wasn't necessary. It's okay that they did. I'm, I guess they did it in a way that, the, to me, did not seem on the nose. It did right. not seem. It did not seem ham-handed. It did not seem like this is Rangers of the current generation, and <laughs> the current generation accepts gay people and knows that some people are autistic. It just happened to be the five people who, in this universe, met each other for this purpose. Yeah, there's ways to write around that stuff where it's not beating you over the head with it, and yeah, they they. They talk about it, but it's a non-issue when people are talking about it, which doesn't bring that much more focus on it to point it out to be like, that's odd, that's weird, that's not normal. It's it's incidental, but it's not imperative. Right. It's just there. Um, they did a good job at writing, and the actors did a good job at portraying that aspect of themselves, just like any other aspect. Like, Billy, uh, Billy's dad passed away a few years ago billy is also like it has asperger's yeah like that that's it like it's just two qualities about him and it doesn't go any further um but you're right you you hit it you know nail on the head heart and soul you you loved that that character the whole time yeah because i was like you know since we're in the spoilers i was really surprised how emotional i got when you thought he died Oh yeah, that whole time uh when they carry him back. Oh yeah. To the command center like from the shipyard down wherever the frick however the you know wherever the hell they had to carry him through the mountains to get back to you know and and I the one thing I will say as a connection to that are they ever going to introduce the idea of the teleportation system? <laughs> because it seems like that would have come in handy cuz it seemed like they were walking for miles every time. I guess it depends where, because like in the show, like Zordon's, like the Power Rangers lair was like on top of a mountain somewhere. And they had that like tube where they went in the tube. The yeah. ship is underground. So unless they do some sort of Star Trek type transportation, it's not like they can shoot them down a tube through the ground. Uh, No, but you figure in like, so in this death march scene, wherever they are along the shoreline in the shipyard, they have to pick his body up. The four of them have to carry him walking. From there, probably several miles, yeah. at least, to the mountains, 
to the particular cliff where they continuously jump off down the crevasse into the pool. Then they got to bring him down the pool out of the bottom of it into the cavern, then get themselves collected. What pick him back up. Yeah. And cause like, you, you know, when Jason, I mean, it, it kind of looked like maybe Jason and Kimberly shared, um, kind of cushioning him as they leapt off the, the cliff into the pool. Oh, I sort of took that as they needed to wait him to get him through the water. Well, that, that too. But so if it's just like one or two of them doing it, you know, as they showed earlier, like once you come out of the bottom of the pool, you just fall. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So one or two of them have him, then they fall out of the water, you know, 15 feet into the bottom of the cavern. Then they have to collect themselves, pick his body back up to then march into the command center. It just really would have seemed like if any other shortcut could have been found, that would have been helpful. <laughs> Yeah, Uber, I guess it, it kind of defeats the purpose of having the uh, the the song montage of them carrying him like Christ to the you know to, to the cliff where they drop him off. Yeah, yeah, but no, I did I did the same thing that time where they're more walking him into the command center, especially, and just as they're putting him down, I I definitely felt the feels. It was even like even like that's one of the points where I think I can point to the actors and say they did a great job because even just their reactions of like carrying his body and then breaking up as they're bringing him there like that was what got me yeah yeah good point um all right next on the list we have Ludy Lin who played Zach who I mean I think he did a good job but out of the five I think he was the most forgettable to me yeah yeah I don't know if it's just because they didn't give him too much to do or or what but yeah, I think he was he was the least memorable to me out of the five. Uh, yeah, that's a good point because you 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 even got a bit more of Trini in other scenes, um, and eventually you get some kind of human insight into Zach with his with his mother and where he right, lives. Right. But yeah, I mean, one point I was gonna make eventually is it did, like you you get very good a very good foundation for Jason Kimberly and Billy. Yeah. Pretty much from the beginning, and then. Just coincidentally, Zach, who is on top of an abandoned caboose car from 1892 <laughs> that's sitting in this rock quarry still, is there. And Trini apparently hangs out at the quarry also. Like, they, they seem more coincidental. Yeah. And Zach, like, they try to establish at the beginning, like, oh, he's a little bit of a recluse. He's the, he's the, he's the, you know, as you said earlier, like, he's the extreme sports guy on the team. <laughs> he's the crazy one, as he says several times. Yeah. But then, I, I, there, there, there wasn't a fully fleshed out character there. You got different sides of it, but it didn't, it didn't gel all the way into one. So, yeah, you're right. You're like left with not really having a firm impression of, of who he is and, and what, like, his role on the team and all that. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't have memorable scenes, because there are things that stand out to me that he was part of or that he did. Okay. But yeah, I think, and it could just be just because he can't, he was introduced to the movie late. Like you said, we get, we get Jason, Kimberly, and Billy pretty much up front, because they're all in detention. Yeah. Zach barely even goes to school, so he's not into that. Mm-hmm. So we don't get him until, what, 20 minutes, maybe into the movie, 15, 20 minutes? Yeah, it's a while. I mean, Trini gets that, you know, she's introduced the same time too, but... 
I guess she has a, maybe a little bit more to do that stands her out, I think, to me. Because she gets the uh, whole yeah, scene with, like, like Rita comes to her bedroom. Yeah, that's a good point. You know what? As I was saying that, I, I think it would, um, it, like, if, if that scene didn't exist, I feel that she would have suffered just being as unmemorable or the level of unmemorable as Zach. Right. Yeah, I agree. Because that showed her having at least a little bit of, like, a backbone and having some balls to stand up to Rita. Yeah. Because Rita is basically picking on her, saying, you are the weakest one out of this, out of the five. Yeah. Yeah. Because, right, because why else would she do that? Um. So, yeah, that uh, Trini, I'm going to, you know, give her props, but Becky G is the is the actress that plays Trini. Yeah, it uh, and I wasn't familiar with her, and I, I maybe this is just a bias, but the moment that I I saw someone listed with acting credits that is just using her last initial, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, I what the frick is this? Um, but I guess she's primarily a performer. She's a singer. Oh, okay. So I mean, she has a couple of small like acting roles. But like most of her credits are soundtrack, um, and I, I, I'm still given that I'd say she she did pretty well, but um, I don't I don't know. Yeah, it just seems like you know again like where 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 do they go from here? Yeah. You know, with it, what, what happens to Trini? What happens to Zach? Why am I going to care about them going forward? I mean, they almost seem to set up a little bit of a romance between them, I think, early True. on. Yeah. Um, and I'm so actually glad that they, because in the trailers, they, they show Kimberly and Jason having a kiss, and they cut that from the movie, which I'm which actually I'm glad they very did. Very glad. Exactly, right? It totally would have detracted from everything. Yeah. Um, so I think they were sort of setting up. At least to me, it seemed like they were setting up Zach and Trini for possibly something, and then they have the whole scene around the campfire, which I think is probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Definitely. Um, and you get Trini sort of questioning her sexual orientation, so it sort of waylays that whole romance thing, too, which sure. is also a good character beat, I think, for her. It's, like you said, yeah. it's something else that they're not, you know, they don't have to beat you over the head with it, but I think it fleshes out her character well enough that it works. It does, and and I mean, if for the one thing for them to say, you know, in modern times, what are current teenagers potentially dealing with? Well, you, even as it becomes obviously legally accepted, um, the social acceptance is definitely moving that way in masses. So, but could could you still have a teenager who is uh, homosexual or bisexual, perhaps? With, you know, living in a family that is either perhaps, you know, too conservative up for it or just has a particular, uh, hardship with that aspect of their child. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, is that very real for the modern times? And entirely. So it seemed to fit as to why someone might feel like an outcast or, you know, feel like they don't fit in anywhere. Yeah, yeah, it definitely lends to her character well. Um, who else we got? We talked about Elizabeth Banks, uh, yeah. Brian Cranston, Zordon. Uh, so I'd say from from the retconning that they did with this, I 
I like pretty much every new choice they made. The idea that, um, I mean, the, 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 the biggest thing that I absolutely loved was that they gave Rita the fallen angel. Yeah. Storyline. The fact that she used to be the green ranger was freaking brilliant. Yeah. Just absolutely brilliant. Um, cause in the original, well, at least in the Americanized version of the original show, Rita basically creates the Green Ranger power out of, like, dark magic. So the power, so to speak, that, that is harnessed from uh, elsewhere that creates the power coins and gives the Rangers their abilities and, and all that stuff, that comes from a much different place than the Green Ranger is created from in the show. And in this, you know, iteration... It's all, it feels like, okay, well, ever, ever since this thing began, it's always been a team of six. You know, these six power forces have always existed, and she's just the, um, you know, the morning star yeah. of the group. She's the one that fell from grace. So I absolutely love that. In that same way, uh, I love the idea that Zordon used to be a ranger. But that's new canon, right? They never really established that in the TV show, that he used no, to be a ranger? Not at all. Just I, I always got the impression that he was some kind of, you know, spiritual leader or yeoman or fighter of the good fight, but he was never, uh, you know, he was an overseer of the power and whatnot, but he was never a ranger. Right. Okay. I that was, loved that, was what I got that idea. Loved that idea right off the bat. Yeah, because you know when they're when that opens and then he's collecting the coins and you're seeing people outside their suits like they're they're losing their power and stuff and your first one. You know, you see the yellow ranger, he takes the coin and it's an alien. You're like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, that's not what I expected. Not at all. And then when he finally loses the red ranger and you're looking at the face, I'm like, is that Cranston? Yeah, I didn't expect that. Because he's in makeup, so you can't Uh tell right away. But yeah, yeah, that was a really, really cool addition. Yeah, that it was those writing choices, those creative choices that I think really set this apart for me. As a whole, because all the fun stuff that they did, you did, like I said, it, the, the reason I thought initially it could have just been like a cash grab or it could have really fell flat. If all they were going to do was make a Power Ranger movie utilizing today's special effects, it would have sucked. <laughs> yeah. It would have just, and, and I'm not even talking about like the campy nature, but you know, saying earlier like that they didn't phone the movie in, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like the people who, were a part of the creative process were interested in interested in creating they were interested in art they were interested in storytelling and just figuring out different ways to do things and would this be a good idea do we like this yes no sure we'll try it out um they weren't afraid to make these diversions yeah uh what do you think of the uh the, like the effect of him like, you know, Zordon's head's not in the tube. He's part of the ship. Mm-hmm. That was actually a specific note that I made, which was I like the idea. Um, and I like the visual that they use, how he can kind of like move around that room along yeah. the wall there. Yeah. The only, the only thing about it though is, I mean, if it go back to Brian Cranston's earliest acting roles you can find that are easy to find, like obviously like Malcolm in the Middle and, uh, the one or two times he was on Seinfeld as the dentist. Um, oh, yeah. Cranston is a very physical actor. So you, the way that they chose to 
uh, visually show him coming through that wall, you lost a lot of the uh, versatility of how um, oh how expressive his face can be. Oh, he gotcha. can he he can do a lot with facial features, and so they lost they limited themselves in that way. But he's also such a good voice actor that you just basically had that shape looking at you, but you felt everything he was saying. Yeah. Well, even like his voice is pretty iconic, I think, at this point too. So that it was a good, it's a good voice to put as Zordon. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and that also add in, you know, what we just said about him. It ended up that holy crap, he's a former ranger himself. You know that just kind of added a, a different dimension. Like when when we heard some of the casting news, you know, a year ago, like holy crap. Brian Cranston as Zordon in a Power Rangers movie? That's yeah. going to be cool. But I think you're right. We all had that image of Brian Cranston's floating head in the tube. Right, yeah. And this was a, a really cool way to go about it. Uh, the last one, part of, I guess, the main cast, we could say, would be Bill Hader as Alpha 5. <laughs> I gotta say, they might not have necessarily needed Bill Hader for that role with with what we ended up with, but I feel like he had a lot of fun with it. There were just a lot of idiosyncrasies about Alpha and a lot of one-liners, like throwaway comments that you almost missed. Yeah. That were really spot on. I, I enjoyed their take on it. Even just like from what I remember of Alpha from, you know, way back the original Mighty Morphin, like Bill Hader's voice, I feel like fits that version of Alpha very, very well. Yes. Yes. And and every now and then, I think like at least twice I caught that you did get ay ay eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In there, which I, I appreciated. I wasn't real crazy about the design for Alpha 5. I It still didn't really... Hit, he almost looked really fat and almost pregnant in some shots. <laughs> like, they gave him a gut for some reason. He's a robot. Uh, Yeah, I'd say that we don't have... An, there's nothing about him that yet looks like he gels with the rest of his surroundings. Yeah. Like, it feels like Alpha 5 from the TV show did. The shapes, the colors, the yeah, simplicity was... of the design, if you will. Like th this, this one, I, I enjoyed it a lot, but you're right. It looked, it just didn't look like it gelled with everything else around him. Like, I don't know if I, I just expected like the same type of design from the TV show, but I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I wanted them to pull some sort of like man in a suit C3PO type of, uh, pract almost mm. practical effect, I think, for Alpha 5. I think the, the CG little, midget size alpha five just kind of threw me mm, and okay. his, his like saucer type of head with the mm -hmm. like the eye the eye the, uh, light bulb eyeballs and stuff like that i don't know it just didn't work for me okay okay um where else want to go oh let's talk about the uh the director because i didn't really i'm not wasn't real familiar with the director um, it's another guy, I guess, that must have came from like indie stuff, or hasn't doesn't have a lot under his belt, and they just gave him a blockbuster film and said, "Make this." <laughs> uh, but I guess the guy's name is Dean Israelite. I think I'm yeah. saying that correctly. Yep. Um, so he did a couple short films in 2015's Project Almanac, which I haven't seen, so I don't really know how to, you know, I can't compare this to that movie or anything like that. But right. Uh, what did you think of his directing style? I guess. Um, not really being sure how much of 
the decisions were his as director. I, I mean, I would say that I can't find anything that I terribly hated. Um, you know, if, if, if he was involved like, with the cinematographer and the lighting director and the script writers, um, you know, everyone together did a really great job. Um, right. It, it's hard with like a first time, basically a first time director. I know that's not really fair, but having zero impression of him. I mean, if, if he had a lot to do with the end product, I'm very happy with it. Yeah. There were a few, I think, you know, you, some people try to experiment, do different things. There was a couple shots that I felt really disoriented with. And one specifically is it's cool because it feels like a continuous shot is when Jason gets in his truck Mm -hmm. and start driving away from the cops and the camera just keeps spinning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes 360 degrees like two or three times, and then it's like upside down when he crashes the truck. Right. That whole thing, like, spin. maybe it's just because I don't like spinny things, but mm-hmm. I was like, nope, stop spinning. This is enough for me. I'm. <laughs> and I think there was a few, not necessarily action sequences or parts, but, you know, the freaking shaky cam crap. Every time somebody does it for whatever reason, it stands out to me. And I know there were, I can't specifically think of any points but i know there were some points where the camera's shaking for no reason or maybe there is a reason i just don't care for it but the shaky cam Uh, stuff always sticks out to me yeah i think they did a good enough job in this to really minimize that but specifically i could think of uh like when they're constantly in the pit doing training right yeah yeah and for me maybe it wasn't as much shaky cam as i would typically think of it but for me it was like the action was too quick. The cuts were too sharp and I barely got to really relish and, and enjoy the picture I was seeing before it cut to the very, you know, to another angle across the room, looking at somebody else. Well, there was, was the, I don't know. Even like, and, and maybe that's an editing thing, but I think like, and I'm not saying necessarily like Jason Bourne shaky cam, but maybe there's just shots of something and the camera is shaking. It could be people talking. Every time the camera shakes, it it just it is noticeable to me. But the quick cut stuff that you're talking about, usually shaky cam and quick cuts go hand in hand. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just a way for editors to like, you know, something they want to do that's fast and intense. So they just cut it real quickly where you don't even have a chance to grasp what you're seeing before it cuts to something else. Mm-hmm. The one that stands out to me that I like the scene. I really wanted to understand how the even like the choreography and stuff works is when Trini and Kimberly are fighting over a piece of like dessert. Yeah. 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 Like that seemed like a really cool choreographed hand to hand little fun bit. And it cuts so quickly. I can't tell whose hand is where, who's trying to do what. That's true. They kept like changing, uh, orientations. Right. You're behind Kimberly. You're behind Trini. Trini. You're you're looking down. Yeah. 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 You're right. So I don't know if they just like, couldn't get that in one take or in long enough takes to, to use that. So they just cut it real quick to pieces that worked and hopefully edited it to something that sort of makes sense. That's true. Though it just occurred to me if this is a, you know, if this is the extent of the laundry list that we have to complain about this director, that's probably <laughs> pretty good news for him. Yeah. I, again, I think he did a good job. Just definitely little things. Like I said, there's, there's the spinny shot for me didn't, didn't do it, but that's one instance. Yeah. And then the like you said the few and far between shaky cam stuff cuz there's not a lot. It's definitely minimal compared to other movies where I have shaky cam complaints. Yeah. But just for me noticing it it's there. It was a bullet point I wanted to bring up. Sure. Um and I don't know how much he had I guess say in or 
because it, it might fall in the choreographies, but the the fight scenes for me, I felt kind of lackluster. Like they they build towards them in the suits fighting stuff, and you get yeah. there and it doesn't last very long. No, I I was disappointed with the altercation, and I mean I just I guess we'll put this out now. I was really disappointed in the idea, like this incarnation of the putties as just like rock creatures that, okay. like I don't know, it just seemed like it doesn't matter where you hit them, hit them once and they fall apart. So they're not really formidable. <laughs> And yeah, you're right. Like they had this whole build up with the characters and it was great. You're, you're right. Like the first like 75% of the movie, then they get those suits and then they start fighting. You get about 60 seconds maybe of putty fighting. And then it's like, let's get the Zords because we already got Goldar and we got to go after him. Right. And not to mention like the first time they put on the suits and fight something is like in that water section going down right. to the cave, which was really awkward. I made a note of that too. I thought that was the strangest decision. Um, like why put them in that environment, especially like they've been fighting these things in their training area for so long. And then, uh, you know, on, on, you know, say land, so to speak in a cavern. Right. And then the first time they're going to be like suspended with them trying to fight them in some kind of pool that, that was, that was strange. Yeah. Cause even like, it, maybe this is just maybe some story complaints. Cause I have a couple other plot holes that maybe we'll get to later, mm -hmm. but the whole, like we have to learn to fight in 11 days and I don't even think they've successfully learned how to fight. And yet they get the suits and they, they're fighting everybody. Like nothing, nothing okay. about their training leads me to believe they're right where they should be when they get, when they're finally able to morph that they can handle their own. Okay. And yet it's the same sort of thing with the Zords is like, as soon as they get the Zords, the only person that's given it, given it a test drive is Zack. Every other one of the four guys, four Rangers never sat in them at all. And yet they're driving them and controlling them. Like they know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. And that was always a complaint. I think of, even the original show is that they never, you know, there. upon seeing it the second time today, I think there was a, I want to say a throwaway line per se, but like a one liner where Alpha first shows them the Zords. Yeah. And then says like, you know, once you learn to morph, you know, effectively, like you'll kind of become one with the Zord. Uh, see, okay, I missed that then. Something to that degree, like 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 more of like a yeah, like an avatar kind of thing, you know, like okay. hook your hook your hair up to the to the creature. Well, they do get like something jumps out at them and grabs yeah. them in the back and pulls them in. Right. So maybe it is more just like telekinetic, or, or or something that allows it to be more cerebral, more intuitive, or telepathic. What am I saying? Telekinetic is when you move stuff with your mind. Right. right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, something along those lines. And you know, I I can buy that's. That's the least of my complaints in, <laughs> in, you know, in a world where you have to, you know, again, uh, suspend disbelief for a lot of things. I can be all right with that. Right. That would make sense. I think, I feel like if it was, if they were going for the campy, silly feel, but if you're making it this grounded and realistic, I feel like these mm -hmm. explanations need to be there. That, oh, that's a good point. Like if you, if you're setting up this tone in this type of universe, you, you can't expect people to just forget the stuff that you're setting up. That is a good point. So, and, you know, most of it, because I have, like I said, I have some plot holes and stuff that I'll bring up, and most of them are story related. Like, I just felt like, to me, the solution would have been, instead of saying Rita's going to destroy the Earth in 11 days, mm -hmm. make it 11 weeks, 
or 11 months or something and just cut the montage. Like, they're going to have a fight training montage. Right. If you give them more time to build that training up, you can show more of a progression in a montage. And I will buy that by the time you get to the end and they know what the hell they're doing. Um, that's true. And, and you know what, that maybe that would have given them the ability to like along the way have one or two smaller scale encounters. Yeah. Which test their skills and, and give them a litmus test as to where they are. Um, but it also gives you, you know, a chance to, like I said, once you finally get them in the suits fighting the putties, it's like they, they, you know, they're demolishing them all over the place. And even though they say like, oh, these, these, these things just keep coming. You know, that, which, which is true, but like you're going through them like paper. So, you know, almost like, does it, does it matter? But like, yeah, if, if you had, uh, a, a, you know, a, a challenge here or there as it built towards the big fight, right. uh, maybe, maybe that would have also helped to satisfy some of, uh, what you saw as some of the shortcomings. Yeah. It's just, you know, in my mind, it's just a simple writing, like an, an edit to one of the scripts or something, but. I guess mm-hmm. they just want to keep up some of that pacing that this needs to happen now so you don't feel like you're slowing down, I guess, in the movie. So I can, you know, I can understand why they did it. I just, to me, it stood out and I didn't really care for it. Okay. Fair enough. Um, of course, we. I have to ask, did you walk out of this movie really, really craving some Krispy Kreme? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> because I... that is something I... they pound over your head is Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> That is the one thing that I thought was ridiculously shameless. <laughs> um, yeah, just way too much. Like to the point where it's obvious product placement, but it's like they literally. Well, I guess I can't say literally because I don't have a literal count. They say Krispy Kreme around ten to twelve times within yeah. a very short period of time. Yeah. Like within within a couple uh exchange exchanges of lines of dialogue. Like it's back and forth and Krispy Kreme is mentioned like five times in like four sentences. <laughs> Not to mention you get the gratuitous shot of Elizabeth Banks sitting down to eat a donut in the middle of a battle. Which I actually in- enjoyed the silliness of, especially while Survivor was playing. <laughs> um which I, I maybe use that as a jumping off point here, which I thought uh, the music that they used, especially a lot of the stuff that I recognize, I thought it was really well done. Uh, see, I didn't care for the music. No? I think they overused pop songs, especially in the final battle. It seemed okay. like it, it felt the only movie recently I feel like that used a bunch of pop songs was Suicide Squad. It felt Suicide yeah. Squad-y to me. Mm. Or it seemed Maybe like it... almost every character they jumped to to show a different angle coming at the battle, they were almost playing a different pop song. See, maybe it helped with me that most top 40 music from the last 10 years, I don't know. So there's a lot that I may not have recognized. It might have, to me, it might have just otherwise sounded like a soundtrack song or something. Right, okay. Um, but there was the one shot um, when, right after detention, when... Jason decides he's going to go over to Billy's house and Billy's going to dismantle his house arrest bracelet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was the White Stripes, but that's because it's still Jack White. But they uh, they use a Rock on Tours song. Okay. Uh, called uh, I had to look I had to look it up because I didn't know it, but it's from it's called Salute Your Solution from their second album. Um, then there's this this I thought was odd. They used the Social Distortion cover of Ring of Fire in two different places. 
See, I, I guess I missed the stuff twice. earlier. Like, I remember hearing songs, but I guess maybe just because I didn't recognize what they were that I didn't, like, pay that, that you know, pay that much attention. Yeah. the I, I, I can't remember the first time off the top of my head. The second time is when they arrive at the boatyard and they, and that, like, fisherman guy is tied to the chair, but they think it might be Rita waiting for them. Right. As they're approaching that fight, ring of, like, it, that's the second time they play it. And it was just, like, because the scenes in which it's playing, don't really seem to be connected. Like there was a common theme or a character or something happening where yeah. you would use the same piece of music for something. But I, you know, how often do you get social distortion in a movie? So I was happy with it. <laughs> um, I will say the one thing I was really uh, pl- pleased by was the uh, version of Stand By Me they used yes. during, yeah. during that funeral, you know, talk about that funeral march. That was outstanding. Yeah, that's if there's one song I'd pick out that I'm like, I need that one. It's got to be that one. Uh, well, for yourself and any of the listeners, that, Brian, that is a, uh, obviously the original is by Ben E. King, but right. that was a cover by a band called The Bootstraps. Ooh, all right. I will definitely have to iTunes that one. Yeah, that was that was cool. Uh, the only letdown is that odd version of uh, power that they used in the credits. Yeah, that's Kanye West. Yeah, well, they use that in the trailers, too. Oh, did they say that? I avoided most of the trailers, so I didn't hear it before. Oh, yeah, it was like the last two or three trailers. They definitely throw that everywhere. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I didn't care for it. Because like, that song just... pops up in the, in, the, in the third act, too, when they're fighting. Because I definitely yeah. remember that one standing out. Yeah. Like, just use the original version, the original Snap version. Everyone loves that 1990 <laughs> song. Well, you know, I was disappointed they didn't use, like, the Mighty Morphing theme song more than they did. You get that couple, I don't know, maybe half a minute or a minute whenever they finally pull the Zords out and they're, they're yes. running. Yes. But even, yes. like, when they finally morph and you get that, like, heroic slow walk out of the spaceship, mm-hmm. they're playing what is the new, I guess, Power Rangers theme song. And it's not mm-hmm. the Mighty Morphin Power Like, that's when I wanted the theme song was right there. Um... Yeah, I I mean I guess I, I for the mood I could see that, but the fact that it popped up at a moment that I was not expecting it and that honestly didn't feel like the typical time that you would use it and it was just used sparingly. Um I I guess it, so for me it goes along with a couple of the fan service things that they did put into it. Right. That that again didn't seem like they were on the nose. Yeah, because that one like, definitely... it was the perfect. It was the perfect punch you got at a moment that you never saw coming, and it was it was here and it was over, and um, it didn't it didn't seem like there was this awkward moment created by it or like well that really seems out of place. <laughs> uh, there was that there and yeah, granted the 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 one time you get Jason you know right at the end before they finally morph say, come on guys, it's morphing time. Yeah. You get that, but my, I think my absolute favorite actually was, um, when Rita has, um, uh, she's, she's building Goldar and she, you, you actually get her say the line, make my monster <laughs> grow. Oh, I died. Yeah. I got that one too. I love that. And it's funny cause I, I saw it with Sarah, obviously, and my wife and, we're talking about it so much and she did not grow up watching these so like <laughs> she, she had to she, explain she, that part to her 
Um, a little bit. I think she might have recognized a couple things, so she might have known that, but, um, like there was a lot, I think she, she enjoyed it as well very much, but like there was a lot to the sort of mythology and backstory of, you know, the old series that I told her about and, oh, well, this was different and they changed the, you know, some of the stuff we talked about before, like, well, Rita was never a ranger and here's, here's how the Green Ranger worked and, and then Zordon wasn't a ranger either and <laughs> had to tell her all that. But yeah, just those uh, little moments of, um, uh, homage without, um, without it really being like on the nose. I, I really appreciate it. They handled that really well. Were there any other, uh, Easter eggs that stuck out to you? Did you make notes of any of those? Um, if I think of Easter eggs per se, well, not anything that jumped out at me that I noticed that would have been like an allusion to like the juice bar or bulk and skull, um, who I'm sorely missing from this movie. I really hope there's some kind of bulk and skull type character in the, in the sequel. Um, but, uh, no, I might've passed me by. Why did you have a, a laundry list? I didn't, well, I didn't think of any when I was in there, but just watching reviews and hearing people talk about the movie, there was a few that I heard or read about. Um, okay. I guess the, the original actress that play, plays Trini, like tragically yes. died. I don't remember when. 2001. Okay. Uh, the girl that plays Trini at one point is wearing a shirt that's got the year 1973 on it, which I guess was the year that that actress was born. Oh, okay. Okay. I can so see that. That was one. Um, cool. The truck that Jason gets into is a, uh, Red, Red Ranger. Ranger, yeah, yeah, I read that one. So I thought that was pretty, pretty cheeky. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. I think that's those are the only ones I'm thinking of right now. Okay, I know there's more, but uh, yeah, off the top of my head, that's all I can think of. Yeah, those th those fun kind of things are well, and then obviously the gratuitous cameo of Tommy and Kimberly at the oh, end. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. Which which was great. I don't know about you, but the um, there was like two or three moments um in in our theater where you did have those like audible like audience applause and clapping lines yeah um one was when the theme song came on with the zords that was a definite fist pump moment i think yes yes um and then yeah when you when you saw jason david frank and amy joe johnson on screen ev everyone in the theater was like oh <laughs> Which part of me is like just believing that it's actually Tommy and Kimberly, like living happily ever after somewhere. <laughs> like they've started a family; they're just living in Angel Grove. Uh huh. So like like like, like uh, Earth Earth Two, Tommy and Kimberly. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget where else I wanted. I feel like I was gonna go somewhere just then, and then I just completely spaced. Uh, one thing. I want to bring up just because I I think I caught it the second time and I just wanted to get your opinion. Okay. Are we led oh, to so, believe so you you saw you you got to see it twice too? I did go see it twice. Yes. Oh my god! I get to see it for free and you you you've seen it twice in the same amount of time that I have. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, because I've said this before, movies that I'm especially the ones I put on like my most anticipated or ones I'm really looking forward to, I try to see twice just because to to really appreciate it or figure out how I feel. I let the first okay. time just kind of wash over me. And then the second time I'm really trying to pick it apart. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I need to see it twice to really get a, a good grip on it. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, after the second time, I feel like we're led to believe that Zordon and alpha are responsible for the dinosaur extinction. Right. 
yeah, I, I picked that up the second time as well. Like, I, I kind of questioned it the first time. Like, it occurred to me much later. Because, like, Alpha right. definitely says they've been waiting 65 million it's years. million years. And in They're the beginning, on Earth. he's putting the power coins in the ground, and he says, Alpha, send the meteor to the my meteor position. Position, yeah. So if that's that, the meteor that ex- that made the dinosaurs go extinct, that's totally their fault. I I would think for them to specifically... Now, yeah, how often when you're having, you know, history discussions about the era of dinosaurs, 65 million is literally probably the most common time frame used <laughs> other than any other to generically describe the era of the dinosaurs on planet earth right so i think i think it would be highly suspect for them to say coincidentally oh no well, i mean that yeah that was a meteor but it was more localized yeah it wasn't that meteor it was just the it first that one. meter yeah although the planet looked well I'd say the planet looked pretty wrecked, although that could have just been the small little area where they were in having this war. Yeah. Because um, it, it also seemed like... Well, I don't know, because they said that they came... Like, I mean, did you get the impression that they were not beings of Earth? Correct. They just happened to, you know, either they followed Rita there, because she was after the piece of the crystal that was there, or they went there first to protect it, feeling that that is where she was heading. One way or another, that's where they all ended up. Not that they were previous incarnations of life on Earth. Right, yeah, that's what I got. Their battle took them to Earth. Right, right. So, yeah, maybe however long that portion of the battle had been waging, you know, who knows, that could could have been the last five minutes that they arrive on Earth, finally, or it could have been, you know, going on for days, and she finally decimates them, and the whole place is wrecked. Which I feel like is even funnier that it takes a freaking meteor for Zordon to defeat Rita, and all all the Power Rangers have to do is bitch slap her out into outer space. Yeah, okay. So I was going to come to this later. (laughs) Yeah, because like as one of the only major huge plot points that I found was exactly that. That not only, yeah, did she literally basically kill at least four, if not five other Rangers, but you're right, it took a literal uh act of you know the uh, galactic body to assist them in dealing with her but this pretty much newly formed team that hasn't you know if if you get the impression like maybe zordon's team was together for like hundreds of years right potentially and yeah this like ragtag team of teenagers from angel grove somehow you know obviously they don't end up killing her per se but they still foil her plans they stop her from getting the same thing that she killed zordon's whole team to get and there's a little bit of an imbalance there yeah uh well i think that's probably good to segue as any i do you want to go through my list of plot holes i don't know if you have anything else you want to bring up with the movie in general before we before Um... i try to poke at it i guess well, I just a couple of fun things I found. Um, as we talked about earlier about like the adult jokes, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I liked in the command center when, um, either Alpha or Zordon first asks them, like, have any of you ever morphed? It's Zach replies, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, actually, but, but only in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Cause that was like an unnecessary adult joke that landed really well. Yeah. Like they didn't need to make that joke, but it was funny. Um, some of the Breakfast Club stuff that we talked about really quick at 
at the beginning was some I felt some of the parallels like maybe they realized what they were doing so they just decided to embrace it a little bit um for instance like when Jason's dad drops him off for that first day of detention you see he literally says to him and I wrote down the quote as I was seeing the movie today now you have to come here every Saturday <laughs> for the for the rest of the year with all of these weirdos and criminals and the tagline, the most famous tagline of the Breakfast Club being, but what we found out is that each one of us is a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Which, in a lot of cases, pretty much fits this team as well. Yeah, it's pretty on the nose. Um, And then the other one was uh, the fact that Billy is in detention for something, for his uh, lunchbox blowing up in his locker. Yeah. And he's the nerd the brain of the group that is why brian johnson in the breakfast club is in detention for the flare gun that he was potentially going to use for suicide <laughs> going off in his locker yeah um i thought some of the humor moments that they put in were really good like they really played up at the beginning how um you know jason is like the star of the town uh, like when he's biking to Billy's house and just random people on the street are like, is that Jason Scott? Yeah. <laughs> we even like gets... Billy's mom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. She opens the door and oh my God, I love that. Oh my God. Jason Scott. Like she just <laughs> like met a, like, a true celebrity. That was perfect. I got the whole like varsity blues feel from all that. Oh yeah. Good pull. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Starring, starring Vanderbeek who was in the Power Rangers short film. Oh, it all comes back around <laughs> connections. Um, I liked I liked the comment in the once they got the Zords where he uh, steps on the sports car and then throws it at the putties. Oh, and he yeah, says, yeah. sorry, Bumblebee, because, you you know, like I giant robots fighting in downtown. That's a Transformers dig. Oh, yeah. Cause, and again, maybe they knew like there would be parallels made. There would be you know, inevitable comments made. So I, I really liked that. Yeah. They're getting in front joke. of the joke. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. There's some other just random things that I had written down, but we can, we can hit your points. Okay. Um, again, I, I guess for me, maybe it's just a point of what I do now, sort of when I watch movies, I feel like I'm sure. doing it more often than I, I used to, but parts of the story that they set up and don't answer or really address again, stick out to me. Okay, that's fair. And especially certain, like, you know, we talked about how this movie tries to set this realistic, grounded tone for the movie. Mm -hmm. So there's certain things that I feel like in a realistic world should be addressed and just aren't. Okay. Like, and it's probably one of the more, more shocking scenes in the movie because, you know, both times I saw it, you get a visible, an, or not visible, audible gasp when it happens is when they get mm -hmm. hit by the train. Yeah. All right, so they've acknowledged – I can understand them surviving the train wreck because they had the power coins. They're a little bit stronger. They can you know, walk away from something that would normally kill somebody. I yeah. get that. How the fuck do they get home? Um, I actually – okay, so right before you said that last question, I thought you were going to say it was extremely unrealistic what that train would have done to that van. Yeah, that too. It would not have just dented it and flung it very far away for that it thing to roll would have ripped a lot. In half. It would have been ripped into so many pieces that I don't care Ranger or not, they would have been vaporized. But if we accept that, um, yeah, I guess as far as as far as that scene's concerned, that's the <laughs> least of my worries. True. 
Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Like, I was intrigued by the idea of, you know, they somehow made it home and, and whatnot. But right, were, were they going to go back and give me a sense as to why that happened? Like, were, no one were... no one remembers why they got home. They both, they all say they've lost a ba- basically a day of their lives. They all sleep for a full day. Yeah, it was like, it was like a lost time. Yeah. But it's never um, addressed after that how they got from point A to point B. Right. Did they, you know somehow unconscious subconsciously pick themselves up and get themselves out and get get home uh did did they utilize some of that trusty transport uh power <laughs> that we talked about before you know that that kind of stuff and yeah you're right they definitely could have filled that in i really thought they were going to explain it that alpha put them away like realize been easy realize they took the coins and like these are the rangers that we have to be watching for so i want to make sure they get home safe and sound or even like play it like a little bit more destiny where uh, you know, Alpha's in the ship, conscious, sort of watching the town and, I don't know, keeping an eye on these, maybe specifically these kids. And so he knows where they, because otherwise, like, if they just get the coins and Alpha picks them up, how does he know where they live? Like, that that would be another question. But uh, That's true. Now, at that point, they couldn't have done that because they didn't wake Alpha up. Because right. they hadn't gone into right. the ship yet. But... I'm just saying, yeah. you know, hypothetically, it, if you rewrite some of the story bits, that if he was already there and awake for 65 million years just waiting for something to happen. Yeah, he he could have been awoken the moment that the coins were taken possession of, not necessarily when they re-entered the ship. Right. Yeah. Um, Some of the other stuff, I guess my next couple bullet points all have to do with, like, basically consequences that never happened. <laughs> okay. Spinning from the van... Billy totals his parents' van. There is no, like, police coming to their door, which they're obviously looking and getting the license plate the day after. Yeah. You don't and, see any police uh, questioning Billy. His parents are don't seem to be upset at all that he just totaled their fucking vehicle. Um, They're not... Yeah, the, the, apparently they don't even know he took it, or they're not aware that it's it's missing at all. <laughs> right. Let alone how, like, how it got to where it was found. But yeah, I mean, as far as they knew, Billy left the house the night before with Jason in the van. Yeah, not to mention they could have been missing that entire next day. And no, there's no, like, you know, town-wide manhunt for these missing five kids. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. And it, it, it's a good point. So if they say, like, oh, we slept all day yesterday. Like, your parents never came in to figure out, like, oh, you came in at 1 a.m., but it's now 5 p.m. and you're still sleeping. You never woke up or left that bed. Yeah. Eh, teenagers. <laughs> um, and then sort of going along with that is Trini's room gets completely fucked when Rita shows up. Right? And then right? They, the next shot you see of her room is her two little brothers helping her spackle the wall. And it didn't wake any of her family up. Right? Yeah, that too. And it, yeah, there's like no talk like, uh, so hey, Trini, like, the frick did you do to your room don't, don't have a ballroom brawl in your bedroom yeah it's like the parents of this this universe are non-existent except for jason's yeah it's, i mean there's a shot i i almost didn't remember the second time i went in thinking like do they talk about jason's mom being dead is he also but there, when he gets home that first time or something or from detention the first day something there you see him, you do see, like, a little sister and a right. mom character, yeah. but primarily, yeah, it's, like, him and his dad. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, I mean, and that's not even uber 
extensive, but that's probably really the most like extent. Well, uh, no, I'd say that that probably about equals the relationship you see, um, the depth of the relationship that you see with Zach and his mom. Uh, between who? Well, uh, was Zach and Zach's mother? Uh, right. Like, okay. Like that's about as deep as the relationship goes. Um, that they portray between Jason and his dad, right? Okay, which okay. Is, is 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 all still very surface stuff. But yeah, you're right. Like the parents and uh, you know don't because like the scene you I get earlier with Trini and her dad and mother or stepmother. I'm really unclear how that family mm-hmm. dynamic works, but sure. Like the the mother seems to be very overbearing. If you're causing that much yeah. damage and noise in your bedroom, I feel it, like she would be the first one night. in there. Yeah, just spewing venom at you like shut the fuck up go the fuck to bed <laughs> just as the walls are shaking and there's a hole in the door she just doesn't even bother coming in she just pounds on the door <laughs> yeah. tells you get there's, this there, keeping us all up there's no questioning of what the hell did you do last night or what kind of nightmares did you have that you busted through a fucking wall <laughs> and the the scene where they like like Zach you kind of get the, the reason for it but the night they decide to just sleep up on the mountain, yeah, like you're 17 years old, like what? What the? What do you mean you're just gonna go sleep? Like none of you, you don't have sleeping bags, you don't have a vessel to sleep in. Um, it looks like it's probably kind of cold up there at night, and what? None of your parents are gonna notice that their 17 year old just didn't come home, and they're not gonna care about that. And then for being a kids movie, they may be possibly drinking alcohol. Yeah, that was a little unclear, right? <laughs> it felt like it was getting alluded to, but still could have been ambiguous enough, like, boy, these root beers are tasty, right. Zach. Yeah, they made it a point not to show you a label. No, not at all. You just basically had, like, a brown bottle. Right. Um, One thing that, again, because it happens at least twice, like, I'm surprised there's no more dire consequences, because, especially in today's day and age, Billy brings a bomb to school and gets detention. Yes. There should well, be a that, lot more severe punishment for that. That's the other thing, right? Because that's what it seemed like that he said like his lunch all he really said was his lunchbox exploded. They don't really give the reason why, but you're probably left with the impression that it, maybe it was it was accidentally putting components together that should not have been and and ended up having this result. Like the idea was not to put something together that could have been combustible. Right. But as soon as that thing goes off in a school. Yes. And all you get is detention. Like that's grounds for being thrown in jail. True. And maybe I'm not, you know, playing the PC card, but maybe in this world, like Billy is a special needs child. He has Asperger's. Uh, yeah. I could, we I could don't want to do that. Bit, yeah. At the same time, what would be the use, even if you're even if you're generous in that way? What would be the use of giving that kid detention? Yeah, like I never. That's one thing. Like going back to the Breakfast Club, I never understood, especially about Andrew and Brian's story in there. Andrew beats the crap out of some kid in the locker room, like assaults him to the point of almost putting him in the hospital. I know, actually, they do. They say they do because he like ripped skin off of his butt when he taped his butt together <laughs> um 
And yeah, same thing with Brian. Like, you brought a weapon into the school. Yeah, it's a flare gun, but you know what? You fire that at someone in close range, it's going to F them up. Right. And the solution in the school district and in the town, Saturday detention. <laughs> and they, you know, that kind of carried over into here. Like, how the hell does that work? I mean, I guess, you know, the, the Breakfast Club was in the 80s, a little bit different day and age, so maybe they could let that right. sort of slide for that tone. But in right. today's day and age, for this type of realistic tone that they want to do for this Power Rangers movie, that to me, stood out like a sore thumb. I, granted, exactly. Um, the one thing along those lines that I guess I would point out was the, like, astonished look that Rita has and the reaction she has when she sees the Megazord for the first time. It was, To me, it was as if she didn't know that could happen. I was led to believe that was almost, you know, again, maybe judging from just her reaction, but I took that to mean that had never happened before. Yeah, same. So she's like, I never knew that was possible. How in the world is this happening? Again, if she's a ranger herself with a team for quite a long time, she has a Zord of her own somewhere, you know, oh, connected true. to the connected to the green power coin. There's a Zord somewhere. And we're led to believe that in all the time that she was exposed to this, there was never a point in which those Zords joined in this in this way in in any way like that all right i can yeah that that seems unbelievable i could combat that okay only because it seems like they're pushing this whole like we have to be connected as a team that's how we morph that's how we get together and fight well and you're led to believe that's how the zords come together is they're on the same wavelength if rita's part of this team and she's had this quest for more power the entire time that throws the whole team off sync Okay. So I could see that you know the five that we see joined together. I could see those five rangers making the Megazord. But if you yeah. have six rangers, six Zords, and you need all six to be on the same wavelength to make the Megazord, and one of them is the odd man out, the bad apple. Yeah. I feel that's a thin stretch, but I'll give it to you. It's a, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> um, um, I was along the lines of the Megazord. I will say I thought it was, um. A couple things I did like about the choices they made. Uh, one, I liked that they were not just in some uh, general, arbitrary, central area. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just just playing with controls that you weren't sure what everybody was doing. I liked the sort of compartmental idea. Yeah. Um, that's, again, grounded. That seemed very realistic. They're going to need to be specialized in the area of this machine that each of them is responsible for coordinating. Yeah. Um, and to some degree, it reminded me a lot of Pacific Rim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the in the approach to that, um, but it was cool. You know, you had five different people to fit in this one thing. I think it would have been a little silly to all have them just in one central, like Star Trekky kind of command bridge type of place. Yeah. You know. Um. So I like that. I also really like the fact that they uh, pull off the pterodactyl's wings and that become the swords. Oh, uh, yeah. I thought that was awesome, because I, I do remember in the first, uh, again, things I haven't watched in 20 years, but I still <laughs> remember, in the first episode of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, they are uh, stuck fighting an enlarged Goldar, same as this. Okay. Um, Obviously, Goldar in the series is, you know, Rita's general. He doesn't ever die. Yeah. So they don't defeat him, but... Out of nowhere during this fight, with no other pre- uh, uh, with no other previous mention, 
Jason, I think, just yells out, Power Sword! And the Power Sword just falls from the sky. And that's usually when they do, like, some sort of, like, hand gesture, like, let's all point at the sky, and then the, the sword comes down. Yeah, and so I was wondering, if they're going to go weaponized in this version like that, how are they going to do it? Because just calling out a weapon for the Megazord out of any of their individual Zords that they would not know yet yeah. would just be really strange. But I thought that was a really slick idea to have the Pterodactyl that's already the back piece just sort of split off. And that becomes like your your two-handed, you know, sabers. Oh, I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good... Almost Transformer-esque, of how, like, every piece is useful, it has a purpose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that what worked. Did, what did you think about, like, at that point, um, Rita kind of, like, uh, meshes herself into Goldar? Right. What did you think of that, and, like, what became of it? I, I felt like, I thought, I was waiting for something bigger to happen. Uh... Yeah, I mean, the only gist I sort of got from it was that she was trying to beef up his power a little bit. Right. Because, you know, up until that point, the they were trying to fight piece by piece, like, you know, all mm-hmm. separate Zords. So when they became one big Mega Zord, yeah. she felt that maybe she needed to add a little bit more power to him to be able to, I don't know, take them on, I guess. Because it wasn't until okay. she was part of him that they they made a sword. That's true. That's true. Um, I guess I was thinking that perhaps they were going to go really abstract and when she, like, make her grow. Either make her grow or it would almost be like, um, I want to say like Mortal Kombat in nature, but like Anna, Animalia, like she meshes into Goldar, but the resulting creature, the resulting thing that you get was going to be this, like, uh, more abstract version of the Dragon Zord. Oh, okay. So whereas the Dragon Zord in this world wouldn't actually be another, like, separate Zord type thing, because cause with Goldar, you already had the wings. Yeah. You already had, you had, like, a big creature, then you, like, add her essence, and then, like, it could be basically she is the dragon sword type of thing. I thought they might, but uh, that could have been interesting. I'm not like sad. They didn't do that, but I didn't really see much of an advantage or a point to what they did do with it. Yeah. I mean, the fight doesn't last too long either. So it's not like they have a lot to do. So, yeah, I don't know. Cause the only thing I remember happening is like, she goes in there, his center kind of glows green for a second and then they go back to the fight. And then, to be honest, I kind of forget she's in there until they defeat Goldar, and then she sort of, like, spews back out. Right. So, yeah, right. that, yeah, I don't know what, specifically what the point of that was. Yeah. Thought they could have done a little bit more with it, but, again, overall, I mean, I'm so pleased with this movie. I, my, I wouldn't say my expectations were, were low, but I was definitely not expecting the creators to care about what they were making this much. Yeah. That yeah, these little things I can definitely let go. Um well I got a couple more little things for you. Uh oh you're gonna tear me down. <laughs> Knock me down a peg. Uh alright, so they make a big hole in the ground digging for this crystal. I which, to my knowledge, they don't fill. So I feel like having an exposed crystal 
in the ground that apparently gives life. I feel like uh-huh. it's the first thing like the government or some sort of secret agency they're <laughs> trying to dig for. Like it's no longer um, a secret once you've exposed the ground and the crystals just sitting there glowing green. Uh, true. Not to mention, people start taking fucking pictures of a Megazord with their phone that I'm sure went <laughs> on social media. So when the fuck did the the cavalry come in and was like, "What the fuck's going on here?" Uh, maybe when they emerged with the Megazord, it's because they don't really show if the, unless I don't remember, they don't really show the hole again, like into the hole after the Megazord emerges from it. Correct. So maybe its emergence with all the like subterranean magma and everything like seals it up somehow all right a, a, a bit a bit more at, at least at least maybe not the whole way but covers the exposure to the crystal a bit more than it was i mean because you're right, other, otherwise there's just a gigantic hole that goes like half a mile down into the earth's crust yeah yeah that's i mean that's the best explanation i can ask for i guess because i got i got nothing um, one thing that I th- I feel like must have got cut from either the movie or the script because mm-hmm. it just pops out of nowhere and then it seems like there's some importance to it at the end of the movie is Jason's sword. Yes, I did write that one down. Is they're fighting? It grows on his arm. He uses it a little bit, goes Against, away like the putties and stuff. Yeah, yep. and then by the end of the thing, when they he goes back to visit the ship, he turns in the sword like it's an important thing. Or, like, that's where he got it. Right. And Zordon says, like, you should keep that. And he's like, I'll be back for it. Back for it. Like, yeah, I, I that was lost on me. So, yeah, something something's there that it should have been there, but it's it's not. So I don't know when we'll get any type of explanation for that, but it stuck out to me. Oh, definitely. Um, And I didn't catch it the first time at all. Like, I, I noticed that he kind of had it during some of the putty fights once they completely morphed. Yeah. But the first time I saw the movie, I didn't really catch that part at the end, and this time I did. Um, right, and it didn't seem like any of the other rangers had any sort of personalized weapons that like manifested for them. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could gather is that it must be some sort of symbolism of like I'm the leader. Sure. So he's accepting responsibility for being the leader. He gets the sword. He's able to use it. Yeah. And yeah, but yeah, I was a little bit disappointed he was the only one that had a weapon and no one else has any other weapons to do anything with. But if that's the point of the sword, which we never really know, I can mm-hmm. buy that. Yeah, and I mean, on the one hand, it kind of has like a sort of Gryffindor kind of feel to it at the moment, where it's like, it could be called to your aid if you need it. It could that's be fair, summoned, yeah. you know, either physically, like, you know, summoning it through where it would travel from the spaceship or it would just manifest wherever he is. Yeah, because you're led to believe you know? that if it just pops out of his arm like it did during the fight, yeah, that why does it stay solid when he's done fighting? It wouldn't just go back into a suit and he can just call it later. That's yeah that that was the one glaring thing that I definitely picked like, up. This they're time. not even sure how to use the sword, and they make it do two different things, which you know they contradict each other. Yeah, that I, I can't argue out of that one. <laughs> um, and maybe in the sequel. Um, the other rangers, you know, additional training, additional growth, you know, re- releases, you know, access to further things in the, um, you know, in the morphing grid or whatever they'll say. And, you know, maybe they will, you know, somehow get individualized weapons in the sequel, maybe. Yeah. They, they definitely, I mean, now that they've done such a great character study with the first one, 
I'm hoping that the sequel will, I hate to say it, but have more ranger action then. Um, I mean, they can continue to grow with Zordon and Rita or whatever the antagonist is in the, the overall story arc. But I think the second movie definitely needs more, you know, quote, like superhero action to it. Uh, yeah, I think better. They, they definitely think need to do a better job with the fight sequences. Yeah, I think again, I think they felt a little bit lacking to me because, you know, if they if they're trying to distance themselves from the campy, silly nature of the Power Rangers TV show, which had a bunch of silly fights and weird, weirdly choreographed stuff that doesn't necessarily there's a lot of like back handsprings and stuff for yeah. no apparent reason. Oh, yeah. Um, But yeah, if you want it like I want to see some good hand to hand fighting choreography, because even the people like. If you're putting people in a Power Ranger suit and you're making them film a fight scene, you can put anybody in that suit. So put someone in there that knows what the hell they're doing, and you can choreograph these really cool fight sequences. That's true. And, you know, maybe I just realized maybe that's one of the reasons that I thought the putties were so lackluster is that that pretty much the moment they went in the suit, every moment of that was CGI. So you never got a moment where I really felt like I was potentially watching a real actor. I mean, maybe there was some motion capture going on. I'm assuming motion capture, yeah. But it would have felt... I think it would have felt really good to believe that I was watching someone in a in a real suit do some of the real filming yeah. to some degree some practical shots and i think that now you got that when they're in the zords but none of the you know quick fight scenes that you like you said that one minute or two that you get with the putties on the mountain and maybe it's just like maybe they just need other types of adversaries for them to fight that's not the putties i don't know what kind of like minions you can fight that aren't the because the putties were such a big thing in the show they were and and maybe that's the thing for like going forward maybe they Maybe they need like mid level threats while the whole uh main story is going on. So you don't necessarily have like a battalion of putties to fight at some point, but you have um like let's say in this movie Goldar was not the big you know, the boss at the end, but he was you know, being not being a creature himself, just this manifestation made out of a material okay. by Rita. What if something like that could have happened where there was just another elemental that they had to deal with? Something else that was a result of her power or force or something that they needed to combat that seemed um, you know, more of a threat than just the rock monsters that fall apart the moment you touch them. Or even I feel like you could you could sort of do it I feel like it's it's mostly the three act structure they sort of took in the TV show was like a villain the the main villain shows up they mm-hmm. fight him the first time they lose they come across the villain again they fight him again they're starting to win and that's when he becomes big they call in the Megazords and you get three fights out of that yeah that's true so that you know that could be a template they try to use too of course I don't know if that's gonna be like paint by numbers Power Rangers that you know people are like oh, okay now this is gonna ha-, you know try to keep people on their toes a little bit I don't know. Yeah. Um, what did you think with the the 
power coins. Were you sort of upset that they didn't actually have morphers and they just had these coins that I'm guessing they just have to keep on their person and then they can morph? No, not entirely. Um, I guess some of the IMDb trivia that I read on this, that there's a lot of the original series mixed with um, one of the other iterations, maybe the one of the more recent ones, um, like one of the like Dino Thunder or something. Um, um, and I, I guess in one of the, the power source, um, oh, here it is, uh, the Dino Gems from Power Rangers Dino Thunder from 2004. Um, I was okay with it. I mean, it was just a different way to show, you know, again, sort of like Guardians of the Gap, not Guardians, but, um, the, uh, the Infinity Stones, you know, the, the, these are, abstracts these are elementals these are singularities these are this this is force and power concentrated and materialized and this is how they are contained this is how they exist this is how they stay um you know in in uh physical form it was a different way of portraying it than i was used to seeing but i was fine with that because i feel like if they had tried to go the coin route with like a morpher uh it it it, it might have been too on the campy side and might have felt like oh that's just one of that's a particular thing that they chose from the old way of doing it that they decided to keep because they thought people would want to see it rather than trying something different right i'm not saying like we need an actual coin like i like that okay. they were sort of like crystals like you're saying that harness power and stuff like that um it just to me, it seemed like it, like you know, they're the first half of the movie. It was all about getting these coins and having them, and then like the second half of the movie, you don't know if they actually still have them on them, and they're able to channel this. But like the the coins just basically go away the second half of the movie. That's true. I sort of and maybe true. it's just me wanting more of the regular Power Ranger stuff. But I thought if they had the morphers, they'd have to put those specific coins or crystals in the morpher to be able to you know, sort of like what you said, be able to harness that energy and direct it somewhere instead of just like being sure that <clears throat> they have this coin in their pocket so they can morph and, and you know, call forth the armor. Yeah. It was, yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe it, like the explanations are just a little bit too general or, or unspecific for me that it, it raises questions that aren't really important to the story. But to me, I'm like, I want to know how does it work? Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we've gone through pretty much all the, the bullet point stuff that I have, like all my things I want to poke holes at and stuff. Again, nothing right. I don't think that takes away from the movie. Like, I still really enjoyed it, but the the story, right, like, I feel like these are just writing nitpicks that I think could have been fixed with some other, like, I don't know if they just assume people just can forget about this stuff, mm -hmm. but to me, the, the plot threads that hang open or are unanswered really, really bug me, so I just want to throw them out there for people. Hopefully I'm not like killing anyone's viewing experience by pointing all these holes out that I find, but that's just no. sort of where I go with it. No, not at all. I think, I mean, when they leave such, there was a lot of good points you brought up that I, I think I realized at the time, but didn't connect the dots as to really how glaring that they were. Yeah. To be fair, like I didn't pick up on most of these until after second viewing, like the first viewing, mm -hmm. I was like, this is great. And then I saw it again and I was like, wait a minute, they don't touch that again. They don't talk about that again and then it it became more obvious and then it started to bug me after that but again again that's 
sort of one of my reasons why I like to see these movies twice, so I can pick up on some of these things a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably a good well, time to talk about the end credits scene. Sure. Which, I mean, for anybody that follows the Power Rangers lore, we get the name Tommy Oliver. Yeah. So, of course, we're expecting the Green Ranger of some kind, which they don't show. So it was a smart move because they left it open to cast whoever at a later date. Oh, yeah. Smart move. Because I was, I was waiting to be like, oh, who's going to be Tommy? Is it going to be someone I recognize? Have they kept that a secret? And they didn't show anybody. So, that yeah, right. smart move. Very smart. And again, them perhaps, perhaps, not saying this was the whole master plan, but um, not knowing exactly how the reception and box office to this movie was going to be. Maybe they weren't sure if they would move forward on a sequel. Right. So why bother having someone fill in the role when you can leave it open-ended? Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's as far as I know, I think there was an online petition by somebody. I don't know if it was like the people in the cast pulling forward or if it was internet people, but I've seen a lot of headlines pointing towards people pulling for a female Green Ranger. I saw something like that too, and I guess I don't know if it was fueled by that or not. But that uh, when one of the websites that I read that was reporting on that is that the cast themselves are pulling for that. Okay, yeah, I couldn't remember where it originated. But I mean, you know, who knows? Could have been, you know, like ch- chicken and the egg. You know, yeah, did yeah. they hear? Did they hear some things and say, "Oh, that'd be a cool idea," or did it organically begin there as well? Who knows? Right. I mean, you know, they had the female Green Ranger with Elizabeth Banks, so it wouldn't it would make sense to have another female Green Ranger. I think it'd be a fun twist. Like we're all expecting this male, you know, leader Tommy to show up. Yeah, the only problem with that with me is they want to keep that name because obviously Tommy Oliver is the most, you know, famous Ranger name in the canon. Yeah, but. Tommy is not really one of those like unisex names. Yeah, that, that was really <laughs> feels like it goes with with a woman easily. Um, I mean, the biggest stretch that I've seen in a long time, uh, I, I could go to like um, on the on the show Scrubs, Sarah Chalk's character's name is Elliot. Mm, yeah, and that's very uncommon. That's the only time I've ever really heard that used, but it works on there somehow um so the, i mean sometimes you can you can you can pick out something that's not really commonly used but tommy i mean maybe unless it was like t-o-m-i see the other way i was thinking you know is they could play it off as like a nickname that she's adopted like maybe she's a tommy boy so tommy uh, okay. sticks yeah that's actually much more clever than anything i said um uh that 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 could work. It's a it's a stretch, but to me, it's no, it's a, little it's bit a better more stretch than what I said. Yeah. <laughs> it's way better than what I said. I mean, you don't see how it's written, so maybe it is T O M I. Like it, like Tori, but you know, mm-hmm. Tommy. Yeah, and you figure they might, even though they did this on the show, you know, for the longest time they had four males and two females on the team. Yeah. You know, they might not want to do that again. They might want to keep the balance even. Yeah. And, um, you know, it would be a good continuation. You know, Rita, the green power, green ranger power she used to harness goes to another woman. So this is something I tried to look at 
when I watched it the second time, and I still wasn't really clear what happens to the green power coin at the end. So, from what I could tell, so she comes out of Goldar, and that sounded way dirtier than it was to be. <laughs> but um, Goldar expels. No, that's that's not any better. Um, <laughs> once she is no longer controlling the Goldar Zord thingy, it's probably as good as you're going to get. Yeah. Um, they make a point to say, like, you know, we'll take you to the command center. Zordon will judge you. But for now, you have to give us your staff and power coin. She's basically like, pried out of my cold, dead hands. Yeah. Um, And then she goes to attack, and yeah, they like bitch slap her, and she flies into space. Um, I don't remember seeing the staff with her in space. The second time I made a point to look, and it is not. Okay. So it, it is in her hands as she is leaping to attack, and it is no longer as she's exiting the atmosphere. Okay. So I'm assuming that I'm assuming they retrieved it. Okay. They just went and tried to find the staff somewhere and then they picked it up on their way back to the command center? Sure. Okay. So I'm assuming it's in their possession. Okay. Um, There was actually one I guess maybe it was like a theory that I I think it was somebody's I think I'm trying to remember where the hell I saw it. It was Pretty sure I was watching Andre Blacknerd's review for Power Rangers, and okay. his sort of thought for Tommy not being present was that, mm-hmm. you know, his sort of theory was that Rita already had him. Granted, we see her like That's frozen. That's why he's not in detention. Right. Granted, we see her like frozen in space, but just for the sake of argument, it could set up the next movie for him <laughs> being evil if she's already got him sort of under her thumb. Uh, I guess it's possible. It, it, I could entertain that. Um, I would argue, though, that you don't hear. First of all, she's she's been expelled in into space. Yeah. I'm assuming that is where she will remain for the foreseeable future events. As she is flying away from Earth, they specifically have the moon over her shoulder in the background yep. as they show her starting to kind of ice up. Now, in the sh- at least in the American show, I, I don't know about the original Japanese version, but the American show, her sort of base of operations and her her command center, so to speak, is on the moon. Right. So, what that would mean, given the timeline that I'm assuming, is she's expelled into space. Tommy is supposed to be in detention to the point where his jacket is literally on the seat already he just happens to not be occupying it at the moment right but she then somehow got back to earth and snatched him away like i i it's it's an interesting point and i it didn't occur to me to connect those possible dots but i don't know if i would buy that okay yeah i I think it was a stretch i just sort of wanted your thoughts i thought it would be a cool thing if they like i'd buy it if they went that route just because i think it would set up a cool story for the next movie yeah but at the same time, like, you have to assume not everyone has seen the end credits sting. So right. that being the case, whenever the sequel comes out, if you are going to introduce Tommy Oliver, you still have to set up and introduce Tommy Oliver. Right. And set up the fact that he could be under Rita's control type of thing. Like, that's that has to happen in the next movie. You have to see that. Which is true. I would, well, so on the one hand, I would say that they can't really 
go with the Rita controls somebody and imparts the Green Ranger power to them again like they did on the show. Because as we just discussed, it doesn't seem like she has her power anymore. Oh, that's or true. The she... coin would power the staff and what she was doing. To a, to a big degree. Like, even when they pull her out of the ocean, like, I think probably the only reason she survives and can be preserved for 65 million years is she gets blown out to sea by the meteor, but retained her her power coin, her power right. gem, whatever. Right. And so even as they dig her up out of the sea and she's in the fisherman's boat, the first thing that glows green is the coin in her hand and then her, her eyes and she comes to life. So there's a big correlation to the two. So while she might still have a life force in space, I would argue that she doesn't have access to the power of all that anymore. Yeah. Do you think we're led to believe the way they leave it with the moon in the background that she's going to end up on the moon? Do you think they'll pull that from the TV show and put her out there? I mean, they definitely could if they're going to continue with her as the overarching villain, um, at least kind of pulling the strings in some way, having a proximity to Earth. Like, if she's on Earth, they're just going to go try to kill her. Yeah. Because she's not just going to be there somewhere with a base of operations effing stuff up. Like, if she's around, they're going to go after her. If she's out of arm's reach on an everyday basis and she's, you know, plotting from a nearby celestial body, that could make more sense. I wanted to give her, like, the castle with, like, the telescope and all that stuff. Yep. That'd be great. Yep. Don't ya? <laughs> Uh, do we want to speculate on any type of eventual sequels? According to Saban, we're going to get five more. Five if more, this works. yeah. Like, the, the obvious one is Lord Zed. Like, we have to be getting Lord Zed, right? Um, I would hope, though I would hope that they... Like, I would hope that Zed would be, like, the credit tag after the next movie. Yeah. Not in the next movie. Okay, not okay. he shows up. Like, if, you're, if you have a six-story arc, you know, again, if you... Depending on how much they want to use the previous roadmap of the Rangers as their guide, um, if they have Zed as like the main co-villain in the second part already, then what are you going to do with him for the next four movies? So you think you're either I think the you're ne- going to lose you're going to lose him or Rita in number three or four, and you're going to need to replace them and. You know, if you wait one more iteration, well, now you're only halfway through before he's really a threat. So I guess in with that sense, you know, in that mind, I, th- I guess it does make sense that Tommy would be the villain in the second one. Uh, it's a potential. Because, you know, I, as far as like bigger, big name villains, it's Rita and Zed, as far as I know, for the Power Rangers. So if you want to if you want to keep Zed for three... I think I think it would be a good fight for them to face off against sort of like you know again sort of like one of their own. It could be yeah. someone they meet in detention, they become fast friends. Suddenly he's in thrust with this green ranger power. And that's pretty much how it played out in the show, right? Didn't they meet him, they were yeah. friends, he became evil and yeah. then they had to fight him. Yeah, he's like the new kid in school and Rita recognizes like oh, he could be an equal to them. He's a good candidate. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would make for a really good sequel. Um, and then maybe by the end of the second one, you might even have, you know, Zed showing up to say to Rita, like, 
you've had all this time and you couldn't finish the job or something. Well, she alludes to, like, there's other people coming. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, they, they let that thread dangle there. Yeah. Because of, of all the... I mean, you figure as the Rangers, they... You know, her team had to protect the pieces of the Zeo Crystal from her. But as the team, even her as a part of it, they would have had other threats in the universe to be fighting. That would be a good thing, so too. She, is so, that she, so she knows that. That necessarily they don't have to all be on Earth. Like, they could be intergalactic Power Rangers. They could send them to another planet to protect another crystal from someone else. True. They, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd hope that. Initially, the the first thought that strikes me is I hope they don't do that immediately in the second one, because I feel like you need to keep a firm foundation. Like, the moment you leave Earth and you start doing things that are outside of the ability of my reality right now, as grounded as you're trying to make this, then I, don't, I almost, I don't care as much. Well, this is the same one that an opening shot shows a spaceship flying over the in the background. Like, I'm assuming it's their spaceship, but there is a spaceship involved. So they have transportation. Well, yeah, which is, which is true. But if the, if the conflict is for someone else's safety, not so much ours. But that's the thing. Like, are there more Power Ranger teams or are these five it? I get the impression, well. Because Zordon made it seem like there are other planets with other crystals. So with other crystals, but not necessarily other teams right so if if they are entrusted with protecting the crystals and there are more planets yeah. with other crystals and no one else to defend them the yeah. burden falls on them which would be true i guess I, I i hope we would get at least one more iteration where the humans of earth need to protect their home before they go off saving the universe because that was one of the things that was that honestly ended up drawing me out of the show when I was a kid, not to mention, I mean, just my age, which was everything started becoming like interdimension and other planets and other realities and other places. And like, I didn't feel as connected to it anymore. Right. But I mean, the other side so, of it, and I can understand maybe the next one or two, like up to three, you might yeah. be able to pass being on earth. But if you're trying to okay. do six movies, it, I feel like it runs the rate, the, the, chance of growing stale if everything just shows you know it's like the transformers it, movies i know you don't watch it's them, always going to seem but episodic every time they find another reason for someone else in the galaxy to show up on earth to fight or find yeah. something it's like well why what is it about these stories that everyone's coming to earth for different reasons okay that's a good point especially like again especially if they have a six movie arc planned i don't think you can stay on earth for six movies and do something different each time um i'll, I'll give you that yeah all the way to the end um, all the way to the end of like six. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. I'm just hoping at least, like I said, at least for the next one, they keep the idea of like the homegrown battle there. Yeah. Cause I, th I, I, th I think that would help establish. I still think they have a, like the characters themselves and as Rangers have a lot to learn before they can go fighting other people's battles out in space. So they can still grow and do other things over the next couple movies to, you know, get better. Uh, hone their craft and that kind of thing before they're out fighting other other battles. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? That's a good point because going from well, you know what you said earlier about the team only having like eleven days to get together to fight this threat at first. If the 
you know, if they jump right to some kind of like intergalactic other world type of battle, is it really going to be believable that they could handle that already? Right. Yeah. You know, it gives them another reason to extend that, that story. Six movies seems like a lot to put under their belt, but I mean, the good thing is if they're coming into the, after the first one or coming into the first one saying we have a six movie plan, mm-hmm. that's better than saying, okay, this movie's now a hit that we planned to be a one-off. Now let's make five other movies. Right. So that gives me a little bit more confidence that they sort of have an idea what they want to do. Right. And I'm hoping that, well, not hoping, but it's also possible. I mean, honestly, they're not going to be able to get these movies out any sooner than a year and a half to two years apart. Oh, yeah. So there's also the potential that after the second or third installment, you're going to have a change up of at least some of the Rangers. Oh, yeah. That was another point I thought of before is that. I think we talked about, I think it was something we talked about on Facebook whenever you were reviewing the movie a little bit after you uh-huh. saw it. Um, that if potentially they're doing six movies, that's, you know, at least 12 years. If you're doing two years a movie, the people that are supposed to be playing teenagers at this point are going to be adults by the time that yeah. six movies start. So what are you, are you still going to have adults be playing teenagers? Or do you let them grow? Do you let their characters age as the story goes? Right, which I think would be a smart way to do it, because that would keep things fresh if after three movies you have to change up your cast, because yeah. they're no longer teenagers. Yeah. And I think so you they... even mentioned, like, in this universe, you would not be surprised if they kill all these people, or at least some of these people. No, not at all. It would be... I mean... It could... With the way that they've been going, if they really want to get earnest... With it, I mean, look, look at the opening. You had the death of the Rangers. Yeah. You know, you could definitely have a passing off, not just because, um, you know, like they did some of the crappy ways on the TV show, but that literally, like, they, they're, they're killed and someone else has to, you know, be the one to inherit the power, hopefully. Yeah, that would be a good way to raise the stakes for everybody else involved. Even the, especially the new guys coming in. You're like, well, you you're new. You could be wiped out in any minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that'd be a smart way to do it. Here's hoping. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that might be just a fun little segue into because I think you were trying to look this up, right? How crazy <laughs> or stupid ways that people left the show or they wrote characters out in the in the TV show. Pretty much, because I remember most of them from when I was little, but. Then as I got older and looking back on it, I thought, wow, that was really unbelievable and just kind of lame. Um, so I kind of wrote like a roadmap from the beginning up until the point where I left the show, which uh, to repeat from the beginning was like after like like around like season five, once they actually hit like a rebranding with with Power Rangers Zeo. So and, and, and it also coincides with pretty much getting to the point where uh, the original team gets completely off the show. So you like have gone through like one entire iteration. So you start the series with Zach, Jason, Zach, Trini, Billy, and Kimberly. During season one, you add Tommy as the green ranger in season two. uh, Tommy loses the green power, but he's then kind of like reincarnated, so to speak as the white ranger during that season. Also, the first cast members exit the show. Zach, Jason, and Trini leave. Um, and the, the justification given on the show is that they are 
selected to be the Angel Grove representatives at the International Peace Conference. <laughs> so they are literally already peacekeepers. They're intergalactic global peacekeepers as you know as as physical as you can be but in terms of you know i guess domestic uh earthian geopolitics go they're going to give that up to go to like i can't even imagine it's not even like they have a seat like a permanent seat on like the un youth council <laughs> or something yeah they they're probably going i think it's in switzerland so they go to switzerland for like a week and so they're going to stop being Power Rangers for that permanently. Is that how long they said they were supposed to be gone? It's just a week? I mean, how long can it be? They're <laughs> high school students. <laughs> well, that's true. I guess they got to come back and graduate at some point. Yeah. And that, that's, I never thought of, like, wouldn't that be a weird dynamic? Like, as soon as they're done with that, they're going to come back to school. <laughs> yeah. And, like, to Tommy, Kimberly, be like, all the, all the replacements, they're all still there. Yeah. Like, do, do, do you, you know, do you sit in algebra class and just, like, kind of ignore... Everything that's happened, I, that's that's not going to work. So anyway, so Zach, Zach, Trini, and Jason are replaced by Rocky, Adam, and Aisha. Again, Aisha, Rocky being that's the other one. I was I couldn't think of the name. Yeah, Rocky being possibly the most unpopular <laughs> ranger. I can't say ever because obviously I didn't watch twenty five years worth of these shows, yeah. but. At least in the first like five, possibly the most unpopular ranger, and he was he was gifted, he was inherited the power of the Red Ranger. He's supposed to kind of be the second like by by that time it's obvious that Tommy is in con control of the team. Oh yeah, but he but he's effectively like second in command, and it, it's just he's effing terrible. <laughs> like watch watch that first movie we're talking about again. Watch that first Power Rangers movie. He he's awful. Well, that's why, like, even the that Power Rangers short film, that's why they made Rocky the bad guy. I think so. At least I gave him I, something I, interesting to do in that short film. Oh, frick, yeah. Like, James Vanderbeek brought so much interesting uh, character to that to that person. It was, you know, it was just so empty before. Yeah. Um. So the movie comes along. They switch up some Zords, but the team carries along. So after the movie in season three, Kimberly, who's part of the original team still, Kimberly leaves to be replaced by an Australian girl named Catherine, who goes by Cat for short. <laughs> um, and see, that's clever because she, just like Tommy, is initially under the control of Rita. And she is sometimes, I kid you not, like an animagus, she's in the form of a freaking cat walking around <laughs> while she's under the dark power. But Kimberly leaves because she gets selected to be uh, trained by a world-famous gymnastic coach to go compete at the Pan Global Games in Florida. Some of these people have their priorities wrong. You are freaking gymnast. Destined are you to kidding protect me? the Earth and the universe from intergalactic threats. But she has to follow her dreams. Man. I got. I gotta go do the gymnastics. <laughs> the, the this this very sought after exclusive coach who happened to be in Angel Grove, wherever the frick that is, California. <laughs> I don't even see. I never even got the impression that Angel Grove was supposed to be like a stand-in for Los Angeles or San Francisco, like a big, massive, burgeoning metropolis. 
I thought it was just supposed to be like, yeah, maybe like a mid-sized suburb. See, I thought there was actually, I actually think I read some of this today, and I can't remember what specific towns they were talking about, but there was uh, continuity errors on where Angel Grove actually is. Like, the first couple seasons, <laughs> it is like a sort of a suburb of LA or some sort of downtown California town. And then mm-hmm. somewhere later in the seasons, they just move it to be like a backwater, sort of like what it is in the movie, so a little bit more secluded town somewhere. Yeah. So... Depending on what season you me. watch, it could end up anywhere in California. Um, well, I'm glad we talked a lot about some of the iterations of the Rangers earlier in the show because this is where it gets really effed up. Because after, uh, like I guess you call it season four starts, this is where Rita's dad shows up and takes over the show and turns back time and turns the Rangers into kids. So... As the kids are going through travels in time all through the season, finding the different pieces of the Zeo crystal to put back together to fix everything, Aisha, the Yellow Ranger, who again replaced Trini, the original Yellow Ranger, she meets a young black girl in Africa who she befriends, who, after they set the world right and they become adults again, or I guess, you know, grown-up teenagers... Aisha leaves the show uh, in order to stay in Africa and help wildlife. <laughs> That's what she says. She decides that she can be of more use there. So she bequeaths the Yellow Ranger power to this friend that she meets, Tanya. Okay. So now now you're under the third Yellow Ranger. Now Billy's still original cast, right? Billy is still there. Tommy is still there. See, I don't know if I'd count Tommy at, like, original five, Billy is... Our original five, Billy is still there. Okay. Uh, so the Zeo crystals put back together, things are sort of set right. This transitions the show to Power Rangers Zeo, and they sort of officially brand it that way. Billy is a supposed to become the Gold Ranger with the power of this Zeo, but they come up with some reason as to why he can't, and the actor who played Jason actually returns to the show (laughs) to become the Gold Ranger. Cock-blocked. Oh, yeah. And during the period in the previous season when the kids were, when the Rangers were all kids, Zordon brings these, like, temporary other Rangers, and, you know, maybe this goes to your question from before, but brings these temporary Rangers from another planet called aquatar so they're basically like amphibious mammal type of beings okay um after uh during the season of power rangers zeo billy effectively says that uh he went like he falls in love with one of them and he wants to go live with her on her water planet (laughs) (laughs) i think that's the worst way to leave and that is how Billy leaves the show. So that that is when the last original of the five leave. I take it back. Actually, that one, compared to the other ones, actually might be one of the better ways to leave. <laughs> like, at least you can't, like, protect, you know, everyone else is still on Earth. So they have no excuse why they shouldn't be there to protect it. If he goes off-world to another planet, all right, you got an excuse why you're not there to protect Earth. Yes. So I'll, I'll let that slide. I'll buy that. So you get... You get the last of the five heading off, and then right after the Zeo season is when you get the Turbo movie. So, in the movie, you have Tommy, Rocky, and Adam still there. And and Kat, I guess, is because is she's the second Pink Ranger. 
So you have them, and I guess I think I guess Tanya's still there as the third Yellow Ranger. Okay. So you get the you get the Turbo movie. They're all there, but then this and and I dropped out of watching this during the Zio season, so I never saw any of this. But the the movie happens, and then apparently right after the movie, when the series needs to pick it up on TV. Tommy, Adam, Tanya, and Kat all leave. <laughs> we'll take the the movie paycheck, but we're not doing that TV shit no more. Yeah, so you had like a mass exodus where they literally handed off like to an entirely new team. See, I didn't realize those were the like those cast members were in the Turbo movie. Now I kind of feel like I want to watch it. Yeah, if it's shit. Oh, it's it's bad. I mean, yeah, if you want to see those cast members, because I I will say I always liked um Johnny Young Bosch who played Adam. Okay. Uh, the, the second Black Ranger. I always liked him as an actor. Um, he seemed fun to, to see on screen, but that script, like you're, you're in for an hour and a half of just head smacks. <laughs> so just, just prepare yourself for that. Fair but, enough. Yeah. So that, that is, uh, that is the point where I stopped going through, but you know, cause that's really where you lose your star Tommy and you lose like your first, like second stringers. Right. Yeah. All the way through. But, that that is the evolution of of how they decided to write some of these characters out of the show. Yeah, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other reasons for other characters leaving that we don't know about after all the iterations of the Power Rangers that we didn't watch. Especially oh, like that one dude that in real life has been arrested now for stabbing his roommate with a sword. Oh yeah, he yeah they got into an argument. This was a couple of years ago. Um, he just finally had the sentencing. I think like it's been That's going through yeah, the yeah. actual courts and whatnot. Yeah, the, he this the actual murder happened in like twenty twelve or something, twenty thirteen maybe. Yeah, he apparently he had a sword in their apartment. They got into an argument over something. And ended up stabbing his roommate to death with a sword. Yeah, that's just messed the fuck up. And I'm pretty sure he used to be. I think he was one of the Red Rangers too. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember his Which name because really it wasn't what I watched, but I just the headlines and stuff like that I'd seen. Yeah, and it feels like a few of the Rangers, like in later acting roles, um, uh, I don't know, like, it's always funny to me when someone who played a Power Ranger ends up being naked in a movie later in their career. <laughs> Just cause it's like the complete polar opposite, like the antithesis of it's one good like way how to, the show portrayed characters. To shake that image is to go the, go the complete opposite of that. Oh, very much. As a matter of fact, I think think if i'm not mistaken the actress that plays cat the second pink ranger i think she plays a i don't even think she has a role but like speaking role i think she plays a naked corpse in the movie the cell <laughs> you go from being at the star of a show to not even getting lines and just having to be naked on a slab somewhere i think so um i know the one chick who was in one of the iterations in like the mid to late 90s she's in um well, the one is naked a bunch in Not Another Teen Movie. One is in Cabin Fever. Um, it's mainly the women that end up going that way. I don't hear I was too gonna say, much I don't about remember Jason David guys. Frank being naked or anything. Uh, him specifically, no. But do you remember, like, years ago, people thought that uh, there was, like, a gay porn actor that looked a lot like Austin St. John? The original <laughs> Red Ranger? No. <laughs> Yeah, that was a thing. I don't think it was him. Pretty sure it wasn't him. We're still not confirmed on that. The ruling's still out, but yeah, I mean, we don't really know what he's been up to, right? So, yeah, this is true. 
Yeah, I feel like the only one that actually had anything come out of it or at least kept a career out of that is Jason David Frank. Uh, I think in the public eye more, definitely him. Um, actually, Amy Jo Johnson has uh, stayed pretty active in certain things. I guess I read that just today that she has actually used crowdsourcing um, to make two of her own movies. Uh, yeah, like she, I, think... di- I, I think she directed also. I think I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that happened, and, and I guess Billy Yost, uh, years later, like, after, like, the 2000s, got into producing, and he's been, like, d- oh, uh, connected okay. to, like, a couple of TV series in terms of producing. Okay. Like, notable ones, but, um... Yeah, I know, uh, you know, Jason David Frank still revisits the pot, like, we were talking a little bit before about how some of the guest times that he's come back to the show and, and made mm-hmm. different appearances, and... He's like last week we were talking about the Superpower Beatdown YouTube series. He made two appearances uh, in that series. One is the White Ranger, one is the Green Ranger, because he does MMA fighting, so he he knows how to handle himself. Yeah. Um, And then even if you want, I think it's produced through the Bat in the Sun YouTube channel, who is the same Mm -hmm. company that does the Superpower Beatdown uh, shows. They started a web series with him called My Morphin Life. Oh, is that what that's through? It's, I heard of that. Yeah, it's basically like a like a docu series of just like, you know, seeing what I guess his personal life is. And like I watched some of the first season, a couple of the episodes. He still keeps in touch with some of the Power Rangers cast. Like he was throwing a party, I think, at one point, and some of the guys, the original people from the show showed up as guests, and you see them just hanging out at the party, and you know, so that's always I'll have fun. To watch that. Seeing people, you know, that's they keep in touch after stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's not I, like I said. I only watched a couple episodes. I didn't watch it all. I think they might be into a season two now, but they they should all be up on I think through the Bat and the Sun YouTube channel. So you can check that out if you're curious. Yeah, I definitely will. Especially the uh, what's it called, My Morphin Life? Yes. Yeah, I have to look at that as well. Yeah, I think from what I remember from the first season, like some of it has to do with like him training for MMA fights, and then you get it like you know some of the glimpse of his family <laughs> life and him and his wife and stuff like that. Dude, I just looked at the clock, and after our intro, I can't believe we've dissected Power Rangers for two and a half hours. <laughs> I I sort of feel like it was expected with you because I feel like as far as Power Ranger fans go, you're the, you're the one I need to talk to. I I mean I'm I'm not bothered by it at all. I guess I just didn't expect it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think this is probably the longest episode we've had in a while, so. I mean, time well spent for me. <laughs> yeah, hopefully everybody else enjoyed it, too. So I, I, I will take uh, the wind out of your sails a little bit and ask you, what would you give this movie as a rating or an overall impression? Yeah, I've been trying to debate whether or not, like, I don't, I I did enjoy it. I want to put that, make that clear. Um, I don't know if I want to go as high as a nine. Mm-hmm. So I'm gravitating towards like an eight, eight point five. Okay. Um, like I said, I I really liked the characters. I really liked the story they set up. You know, the plot holes bug me, but it's not detrimental to the store to the overall product. But I do think the fight scenes were a little bit lacking. The third act of the film felt slow to me. I fe- like you know that's where the action is, and maybe just because the action didn't live up to my expectations for what I wanted it to be, I got a little bit bored. Okay. But the first three-fourths of the movie I think is so well done that I think it, it carries a lot more for me. So I think, yeah, somewhere eight eight 8.5 range, I think, for me, out of 10. Okay. Yeah, I think um, I'm 
really, this is going to sound like very snobby, but I'm very strict in a lot of ways about how I think about reading movies. Um, I, I guess it, oh, only compared to one another. Like if I had to say out of 10, I, yeah, I'd probably go around the eight range myself. But if I think about other movies that I've given like an eight or nine, you know, that, you know, maybe it's apples and oranges, but this greatly, greatly exceeded expectations and really delivered a big surprise to me. Yeah, I'll put it this way. I am, I am glad that I put it on my top 10 anticipated for this year. What, where, where, where was it for you? It was number 10. Was 10? Okay. Because I was on the, like, I was sort of with you. I, I kind of thought it was going to be a cash grab. I wasn't really sure if they'd put that much effort into it, but mm-hmm. I was curious enough that I was definitely going to check it out and make sure I saw it. Yeah, yeah. I knew I would see it. I just didn't know. I definitely didn't think I was going to get what I got. I mean, let's. Put, I didn't put Logan on my top ten, and that was another one that I, yeah. I really was excited. About, and I'm, I'm really, really happy the way that one turned out. I think, I think, I, I still like Logan better. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, this one, this one's definitely did take me by surprise. I will agree with you on that. So yeah, I think it's probably good enough time to wrap it up again. Like okay. Josh said, since we've talked probably two and a half hours on this. <laughs> um, so yeah if you've uh, enjoyed the show enjoyed our Power Rangers talk and all the stuff that we usually talk about uh, please stop by iTunes leave us a 5 star rating and review uh, you can share, subscribe, favorite the show you know on there or iTunes or not iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio is the other place to go that's usually where I link whenever I post them on Facebook uh, so yeah you can find us on Facebook too uh, search for Brian and Super Friends or go to www.facebook.com slash Friends. Uh, and you can now send us questions, comments, topics, suggestions, all that good stuff to braggysuperfriends at gmail.com or tweet us at bgsuperfriends on Twitter. And on behalf of Josh and myself, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. recording it okay. real quick um just for fun i didn't know if it would be fun to like after the outro there um almost as like outtake so to speak if uh, you wanted to try recording the other intros that i had sent <laughs> or or i could do it uh we could like sort of alternate if you want you can do some okay, i'll sure. do some welcome to bright guy and super friends where our love of power rangers will never see i can't <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!
I think I try to go too fast. <laughs> that's that's good. Keep that. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So you want to give that one a go? Since my, I <laughs> sure. fucked that one up. Sure. <laughs> Welcome to Bry Guy and His Super Friends, where our love for Power Rangers will never burn out like the green flame candle. Yeah, see, that was a lot better than mine. Uh, welcome to another episode of Bry Guy and His Super Friends, where we hope to convince you that we are more than fully sentient, multifunctional automatons. Yeah, see, that's a lot of big words. I had to slow down and take my time with that. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Bry Guy and His Super Friends, where hopefully sometime soon we will morph into a good podcast. Oh, I missed the one I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, welcome to another episode of Bry Guy and His Super Friends, where we will come back to Earth to pick you up in case you are totally confused. <laughs> That's definitely a deep cut. That's <laughs> also from the first episode, uh, after they're getting some of the explanation from Zordon, Kimberly pipes up and... That's what she says. Yeah, I didn't get that reference, to be honest. Will somebody come back to Earth and pick me up? Because I am totally confused. <laughs> I think I just, just keep t- your impression in there. Just get rid of mine right, and just to- keep your impression of Kimberly in there. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Bry Guy and His Super Friends, where Megazord sequence has been initiated. <laughs> you even added, like, robotic voice to it. I don't know if I could do that any better than that.